want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, nice. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, well, we've almost, I don't know about Chicago and environs, but we've almost dug out of the frozen hellscape. It has been beautiful for the past several days. And I don't even feel like I need to knock on wood for that. Because even if it goes back to being a frozen hellscape, I can hold on to this week like in my heart and that can sustain me through another couple weeks of winter if it comes back that's how happy i am about the weather right now well that's just fantastic good for you <laughs> good for you <laughs> i take it things are different up uh where you're at then yeah there's still a lot of snow on the ground <laughs> yeah we finally have some melting i could see parking lots you know that no longer had half the spots taken up by snow it's been it's been delightful um a lot of tv talk this week as well uh the the big topic of conversation is the jinx uh which we will be with the arrest of robert durst over the weekend we will be talking about that when we get to uh our week in reality and genre uh, or documentary i guess and genre um so we're not gonna we're gonna hold that conversation for there uh yeah. for, for later i will say that i feel bad that i was one of apparently millions of people who made the hey stop spoiling the jinx reality jokes but <laughs> oh well oh well um later in the episode we'll be talking with paul Goebel, the king of tv who came back on the podcast to talk with us about star trek the original series we have to get paul to come on the show when a beloved uh television actor hasn't died because he was one of our very first guests, and we talked about news radio, and then uh, he came back on after Dennis Farina passed away to talk about Crime Story, and then now after Leonard Nimoy's passing to talk about uh, original series. We're going to need to get him back on for a happy show, for like, you know, a show that we like, not just because we really wish one of the main actors hadn't died. Yeah, that would be good. Although I think we 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 did not unduly focus on the morbid. Yes, we tried to stay, you know, more focused on the the series itself and not on the less fortunate realities surrounding it. Um, but yeah, so that's at the end of the podcast. We talked with you guys as well this week. I uh, got a couple answers to the question of the week, which again to remind listeners, Simon was right. I was asking about uh, what sort of spinoff shows might people want to see in the same reality, in the sense that we've gotten with uh, with Better Call Saul, kinda. Uh, Carl says, I want more in the Northern Exposure universe, though Firefly and Deadwood would, uh, they would work damn well too. Because Carl's a big Northern Exposure fan. He's been on us to do a Northern Exposure DVD shelf for, I think, literally years at this point. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that could be a lot of fun, Carl. And Kyle says, I would say Pushing Daisies. I'd love to see more stories told in that delightful style and world. And uh, speaking of Pushing Daisies, I was thinking as I was driving around earlier this week, you know, we had, uh, pitched the idea of a Charmed reboot with the Gummers. I feel like, I feel like a Brian Fuller Charmed reboot with the, would that be too much? Uh, well, I mean, at this point, 
us asking Brian Fuller to do stuff is just kind of, it's like an internal meme. We we really should curb it. The well, man can only do so much, even in our imagination. That, that is very true. And obviously, precedence would be given to the Brian Fuller Star Trek show that he, we yes. know he wants to do. And for some reason, people won't seem to let him. Uh, but, but yeah, I was trying to think of who would be a good showrunner for that Gummer Charmed spin-off or remake that we want. And that's who I went to. Uh to go outside the obvious people, like your your Whedons and your Fullers. Um, uh, what about Espenson? Espenson could be good. Has she, when was the last time she was actually a showrunner? Well, she's got the, her web series, uh, Husbands, that she does, that she co-created um, and is very... You know, one of the main people for, uh, but she she did Caprica and she did a few other series as well. But right, yeah, but that's what comes to mind. Yeah, she could be really good. Yeah, so let us know, listeners, if you have thoughts on that. Anyways, uh, to get back to what Kyle was tweeting us about, he said uh, he's anxious to see what the third show to use "Only You" by Yaz will be. You know, based on the rule of three, because of course it showed up on the Americans, and then last week it was on Looking. Um, so, who wh- what should be the next show to feature Yaz prominently? I feel like Broad City could make that work. Broad City could, de- yeah. Broad City can do a whole lot with a lot of things. Um, I think Bob's could do it pretty yeah. easily. I could see that in an end credits type type uh, type deal. Yeah, I could see. Who do you think, Bob or Gene, belting away, or is this oh, a Tina situation? Gene, okay. I definitely yeah. see Gene doing that. Nice. Um, talk to the Americans with Carl, and uh, I'm going to guess it's Mila or Mila XX. Um, talk to Man Seeking Woman with Josh. Mario wants to know where that version of Tainted Love came from. Love that song, but I've never heard that version. That's uh, Mario, as I told, uh, tweeted back to him, that the version we used on the podcast last week was the version from that episode of Fortitude, which was composed by Ben Frost. And you can find, uh, he put it up on his SoundCloud page. So if you want to, I think you you can... Buy, buy them right from SoundCloud, uh, and certainly you can stream it. But the composer, yes. the arranger, is Ben Frost, and I don't have the name of the singer in front of me, which is my bad. I apologize. Um, but the name of the artist is also on that same track. So go to Ben Frost's SoundCloud, SoundCloud page, and you should be able to find it there. Yes, and then listen to his albums too because they rule. <laughs> Jape Man says uh, for our final uh, feedback here, Hulu Plus has a new sitcom that you can binge called The Neighbors, which, have you heard of this? Uh, no, I haven't. This is from the room director, Tommy Wiseau. Oh, no. Will you guys be watching? He's very curious. Have you seen The Room, Kate? I have not seen The Room, and I don't feel like I'm missing out. Because, <laughs> like, there are um... so many good shows that I own films... <laughs> That I haven't seen. Like, I don't feel like I should see The Room before I've seen The Godfather Part 2. I just feel like that's not a thing that should happen. <laughs> Can I just say, The Godfather, way better than The Godfather Part 2. Sorry. Anyway, whoop whoop. Um, uh, yeah, but there's so many interesting things a show can be other than good. Okay, so are you going to watch it? That's Jake Man wants um, to know. Uh, there's so many other things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll see if I remember and, uh, and I, and I have, uh, and I have the appropriate level of self-respect that day. 
Well, uh, we'll we'll keep you posted then, Jake Man. Um, at Sound on Sight this week, uh, or I should say this past week, was why you should be watching week. So we had several of our writers uh, uh, writing articles about shows that they feel like are underappreciated and underseen. Um, we also had an article from one of our new contributors, uh, Amy, who about uh, top six supporting characters from dramas who deserve a spinoff, Better Call Saul style. And I also wanted to welcome Elena to the contributor team. She wrote up You're the Worst for Why You Should Be Watching Week, which is a show that, of course, we love here at the Televerse. Um, but so there's lots of great content going on, uh, going up at, over at Sound Site TV that you guys should go check out. But we should get into it because there are fewer shows this week, thank God. Uh, but there's still a lot to talk about. Um, so oh, we'll, man, is there ever. Oh, yeah. So, so we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in comedy. Mid-sized car You don't have to be popular Find out who your true friends are In the boudoir In the boudoir Pinot Noir, smoke a cigar Revenge can be spectacular Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir Pinot Noir, leather bar Oh so close and yet so far Pinot Noir, you're a star. Listen to Tom Berenger. Pinot Noir, Rose and Bar. This week in comedy, we're going to preview Children's Hospital season. Oh man, what are they on? Seven? Is this six? What? Where? Oh, where are something we? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I think it's season six. Okay, and then we'll then we're going to talk a bit about uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season one. Uh, now that I've had a chance to catch up with the series, uh, then we'll do a little time on Man Seeking Woman, Teacup, Broad City, Coat Check, Jane the Virgin, Chapter Fifteen, The Last Man on Earth, Sweet Melissa, uh, Girls, Daddy Issues, and Looking Looking for Sanctuary. Remember how we said there were fewer shows not in comedy, still no, no. relief in comedy, um, but we're okay with that because that means we get things like screeners for the first two episodes of children's hospital, which is starting up this Friday uh, on adult swim. So how, what did you think of these two episodes and how happy are you to have uh, children's coming back? Uh, always happy to see children's. It tends not to have uh, a lot of huge uh, leaps and bounds in either direction and quality. Uh, my, my big takeaway from these episodes was not what I was expecting, uh, which was, and I feel like spoiling a guest appearance on children's hospital. Isn't that big a deal? So nice to see Julie Bowen anywhere but Modern Family. I was I was just amazed at how great it was to see her on this show. Yeah, she was. Uh, she shows up uh, very briefly. It's almost cameo, and uh, and and is a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and I look forward. It's one of those things where I didn't realize how much I feel like she's been saddled with that character on on Modern Family. The Claire is just such. Uh, at least the last, and I should say, I haven't been watching regularly, so who knows what it's been like recently. But the last time, you know, when I was last watching regularly, it, she had just become such a um, a cliche or just such a, so, so defined by one or two character traits that it was completely uninteresting, despite the solid work, comedic work by the actress. And so, yeah, you're right. It, it, she does a good job. I also always enjoy when uh, the Key and Peel guys, you know, Key and Peel. I shouldn't say the Key and Peel guys. Key and Peel show up on comedies we like, which fortunately happens quite a bit. Um, but yeah, this is very much Children's Hospital is Children's Hospital. So there, you know, you don't have sort of the momentum of when they moved to Japan 
for the year. So there was so, sort of um, more, not an arc, but more continuity maybe um, in, in that, or just it felt a little different, just like slightly different spin on it. Um, and, and they're back to Brazil. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it, it, it just feels very much of a piece with, what the show is. So if you like Children's Hospital, you're going to enjoy these episodes. If you don't get it, if it's not for you, then this probably is still not for you, but we're happy it's back. Yeah. Two quick points. One, Adult Swim sends out the best press releases. Yeah. Which which anyone who's read them will understand. And two, I'm just hoping for a couple more high concept episodes this season, like we haven't really been getting recently, like that fantastic episode they, they did mocking theater yeah. a couple seasons ago that, that had that squeezed three acts into 11 minutes. More of that, please. Or the, the, the Blake clones that, you know, like the higher concept ideas tend to work really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they they always embrace the, the heightened element of those. So, you know, it's nice to, to, to get, you know, hopefully we'll get a few of those, like you say. Um, but we should move on to our next show, which is The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, and so I've seen all of season one. You've seen all of season one as well. Um, and I feel like when we talked about this, or when I should say you talked about this last week, Simon, you left out... Uh, an important detail, which is I'm going to have that theme song stuck in my head forever. For the rest of your life. And not just because I watched the entire season in like two days, but because it is such a smart move to, to have that be the theme song. I thought that was such a, a creative, fun uh, way to go instead of just like the normal telling the high concept story through the theme song. Like that was a good way to do it. Um, so that was one of my big takeaways. And the other big takeaway is I love just unabashedly feminist show. Just women are the best. Look at what we can deal with. Uh, and the show goes to that well, not infrequently, but in a way that feels very true to Kimmy and uh, to Tina Fey's perspective as one of the co-creators. So uh, those were my two big takeaways. Any thoughts on those? And then also uh, what else came uh, really stood out to you? Uh, well, just the when you mentioned the theme song, uh, I'm uh, one thing I, I picked up on and other people picked up on is that the differences between what the show would have looked like had it aired on NBC as originally planned versus what it looks like now uh, are subtle, but that's one of them. I mean, they wouldn't have had time probably to have a proper theme song hmm. because networks at comms generally don't have time for these things anymore. So it's, uh, and, and also I noticed that increasingly over the course of the season the episodes are going from about 21 minutes to 26 and 27 minutes so they're using that i mean they could have made the episodes 57 hours long if they wanted because it's netflix who cares um but it's um that's what that's why i'm curious about season two to see like if they're you know they can drop f-bombs next season if they feel like it i don't they probably won't but uh i'll be curious to see um if the show changes its its uh its structural or, or comedic approach at all next season uh i also didn't mention the cast really at all next week uh, last week because i wanted to give you a chance to watch it but um yeah titus burgess yeah kills it yeah reliably i mean every, every i feel like people are so focused on the ellie kemper charm assault that they're that they're not giving him enough love yeah he's fantastic uh i mean like pinot noir are you kidding me <laughs> there's some really fantastic stuff uh throughout and I, I also talk about themes i also really love this undercurrent of uh socialist or or just really strongly anti one percent like these tirades that the carol kane character goes on which i thought worked really well to to counter the krakowski 
ridiculously wealthy perspective. I like that they kind of are making fun of both and uh, and just, you know, the slumlord landlord who she really can't complain mm. that they aren't paying her rent because, you know, the the floor is painted dirt and the walls are cardboard uh, with, with the uh, just ridiculously $12 million is not enough money to possibly live on. Um, you know, I, li- I like the two sides of that. Uh, less successful and... I'm sorry, but this is just a swig and a miss for me. All the Native American stuff. Just, that just feels so regrettable. Uh, Kimmy Schmidt has an interesting relationship with race. Um, the, I mean, I know that uh, uh, specifically Libby Hill wrote a thing about how she wasn't uh, super pleased about the Native American stuff. I see what they were going for. This notion that, you know, you come to New York and you leave your past behind, which is something that uh, that Titus does and something that Kimmy does. Uh, so it fits in with that schema nicely. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I mean, the thing is, like, people, uh, I feel like people gloss over the fact that 30 Rock's race humor was frequently really on just this side of terrible. So I wasn't super surprised by the, uh, let's call it insensitivity of that plotline, nor was I surprised when. Uh, when all the dong jokes came up when that character is first introduced. Um, what I think that the dong thing uh, does well is eventually makes dong a character kind of. Yeah. And actually does stuff with that. Whereas if they, if they had incorporated uh, Kimmy's parents, either, either via flashback or if they'd brought them in to the present timeline and made them into something other than plot functionaries, maybe that would have been better. Oh, you mean, um, Jacqueline's parents, Jackie Lynn. Jacqueline's parents, yeah, yes. sorry. Well, yeah, the I I absolutely agree when uh when the show finally moves past the dong as name jokes, um that is most welcome. And they do bring it back when new people meet him, they have that reaction and that's fine. Um but I, I as soon as Kimmy is over that being funny, um then the show kind of is as well, which is nice. I really appreciate it. She's like it's a very common name. Just you know, that's a good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that's... Yeah, and maybe they'll make those people actual characters next season. That would be nice. Yeah, that could certainly, like yeah. you say, that could go a long way towards helping. Um, other elements uh, of the season, not successful for me at all. Uh, the cameo, the Tina Fey cameo in the last few episodes, not cameo, but like guest role, uh, Marsha Clark and, you know, like, like the lawyer things, like that just really, every time those the lawyers open their mouths as just it felt dated and not successful and a waste of all of our time i would much rather have had just a incompetent other lawyer the judge is just judge bad is his name that that's all we needed from the prosecutors is that just me yeah uh not just you um some of it was funny but definitely very one note also to be honest, I wasn't wild about Tim Blake Nelson as Randy no, either. Me neither. Such a waste of that actor. Yeah. Whereas I did enjoy uh, uh, Kieran Shipka uh, in a very sort of one note performance, but that's she's a teenager. I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> I, about a teenager like being an annoying bratty younger sister because that feels, you know, teenagers are difficult. We all were difficult as teenagers, I'm sure. Um, so I that I was good with that. I almost don't want to get into the who plays uh, Reverend Gary, yeah. but uh, he does a, a 
a, a typically fantastic job. Yeah, really good. Uh, the handling of the character, I think, works very well. And uh, the name, was it Gary Wayne something Wayne? Fabulous name. And I feel like we should just quickly mention as our last thing, at least for me, my last thing, uh, the fantastic think piece that neither of us saw coming. Simon? Oh, yes. I believe it was on Vulture but I could be wrong or salon. I don't remember where it was, but if you Google it, you'll find it very quickly. Um, something that we haven't talked about is, is the, the notion of, um, of uh, Kimmy Schmidt as a series about trauma, which eh, I feel like it's handling of that. It personally is kind of half-assed to be honest. Other people seem to not think so, but we can at least say that it's handling of growing up in a cult seems to be relatively accurate based on the recollections of someone who grew up in a cult. What I really appreciated about that think piece was the the person who grew up in an apocalyptic, apocalyptic, you know, apocalypse cult saying, yeah, when they're standing around the Christmas tree singing apocalypse, apocalypse, like she's like, yeah, that seems about right. Whereas, you know, from <laughs> that, my perspective, that just seems ridiculous and over the top. But no, apparently not. So a lot of like the things that you would think are more ridiculous are actually just for that for that writer felt absolutely legit and uh she really keyed into the notion of the worst thing that could ever happen to me already has so i survived that i can survive anything and that goes into the again ties back with the opening theme theme song um they're they just can't be females are strong as hell which is what the theme song says uh, and again that's back to the gendered aspect that i enjoy but um this notion of if she survived that new york ain't got nothing on kimmy schmidt so it's a really fun way to mm -hmm. do that sort of small town girl midwestern girl goes to the big city thing and not have it feel really tired um another you know woman starting her life over at 30 which is going to be a bit of a theme this week um so i thought that was it's just you know i really have i enjoyed it i don't think it's all-time great it's not going to be on my top 10 even probably my top 10 comedies of the year but i like you say i look forward to season two and uh i think they did a good job Yes, and I, I will. I will also add, as I mentioned last week, like I was never like a huge Thirty Rock person, and I actually probably enjoyed this more consistently than I ever enjoyed Thirty Rock. Ooh, big words there, Simon. Yeah. Um, but let's move on now to Man Seeking Woman Teacup. This is the penultimate episode of the of the season, and this, uh, you know, one of the first things that I said about the show, uh, writing for it, about it over at the AV Club, um, and then when we were talking about the podcast, is this is a really great premise and world through which to explore single dating. However, the white male, late 20s, mid 20s, uh, dude bro kind of, or just like soft-spoken sad sack character, we've seen this so many times, it would be nice if they took other perspectives and used the same world. And they did! And it was awesome! Uh, yeah, this episode was amazing. Uh, I would say it was, it's probably in my top 10 of the year for single episodes so far if i had if 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 uh apocalypse apocalypse came today and i had to make a list for the year uh this would definitely be in contention the um i mean in, in a sense it's almost not fair because the show this is an example of a show doing exactly like two exactly the thing that we wanted it to do and then now we get to reward it for being good good show good show so uh, and it's also the thing that we hope so many other shows will do. It's like, hey, here's a character you're underserving. What if we gave them the narrative for a week? And literally, the title sequence switches this this week so that it's woman seeking man, uh, which 
admittedly sounds a little reductive, but um, the the way that it shifts, I mean, the way that it it adopts the basic format of the pilot, but then is tonally completely different. Like this is way like the 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 pacing is different there's uh there's some wackiness and obviously the Franken the Frankenstein sequence is quite wacky so it's still using the devices of the show but the rhythms are completely different and that's if if it was structured exactly like a regular episode but happened to feature uh Brit Lower's character then I think that would that would have felt wrong and they did not do that at all well no it's 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 very, part of why I, you know, I wrote this about this in my review of the AV Club. Part of why this is so successful is there's elements that I'm going to relate to much more just as a 29 year old woman. There's certain things there that are going to hit home better. But I really do think that is not the reason I like this episode better than the other episodes of the season. I think it's because Liz is a distinct character we have seen her at work now we know very much about her personality we know we've you know saw her with leo we know her about her relationship with her brother but also with her parents and so we we have an idea of what she wants in a man we, we've spent you know she literally goes through the things that she thinks are important in that she's looking for in a partner we uh we know her life goals for herself like we know her much much better than we know josh and so the show can be much more specific to her in her experiences and so therefore we say it on the podcast all the time through specificity you get universality and because we care about liz because we know liz that that tea party sequence would be great no matter what but when you actually have know who this character is and know how impactful that bitchy little seven-year-old's <laughs> remarks are to her, it's all the more powerful. Yeah, and that, that sequence in particular uh, does a beautiful job at balancing being really funny, uh, being uh, cutting to the heart of that character, and also satirizing social mores, which yes. don't go examined very often. I did see some people complaining that it's a bit you know, cliche, oh, we've seen this before, but as a single 29-year-old woman who would like to get married and have kids someday, and who has a lot of friends who fall into similar camps, every single woman in their late uh, late 20s, early 30s, who wants to have kids has done that math. I guarantee it. And so when we, that, that tea party sequence and this notion of uh, all the good ones are are gone by by third grade or whatever it is. That is just absolutely true. And the 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 math and then the delivery of but you know I'm still I'm not great at math and dead silence. <laughs> this this episode it 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 is cuttingly it just it's based in fear rather than experience. Specifically, it's based in her fears, um, and not just more generic ideas. That sequence alone, I think, would be great. But then the, the Frankenstein's monster sequence, or Frankenstein, is also super fun and, again, very specific. I love how much Liz cares about work, um, the proximity of where, where, the, where she lives. Because, you know, she's really freaking busy. So she doesn't have that much time to date. So if he lives far away, it's not going to work. Um, that is great. And the, the she pulls off the hair. looks fabulous. And the angles and everything. I like Matt Lucas as... as uh, uh, Igor, Igor, um, the the little bitch at the end too is a nice little commentary. At least that's how I read it on social uh, expectations and um, gender politics um, for women and men. And then we get the counterpoint at the end with Chip, which to me counterpoints uh, Gorbachaka from the pilot. 
uh, this date. And we see it go such a different way with uh, Liz and Chip than it did with Josh and Gorbachaka. And because uh, they're both set up by people who theoretically know them and everything. Um, but that works beautifully and leads to this just lovely small moment between the siblings at the end. I mean, I just think the whole episode comes together in such a fantastic way. I, I think it's the has the best ratio of successful to not successful uh, fantasy sequences of the season. And Britt Lauer does a great job centering it. Yeah, I mean, she's gotten very she's got she's been fine all season, but she hasn't really had any kind of showcase. And the fact that she's front and center for basically this entire episode and kills it uh, is just a, te- a testament to her and how great she is. Uh, the I think it's going to be an interesting test next week to see uh, if the show can recapture our attention to this degree when it goes back to Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if they can bring that level of specificity uh, to him, having perhaps learned something from this episode. I don't know. I could just be hoping, or maybe it's part of the some grand scheme that I don't quite understand. But um, yeah, it, no matter what happens, it will always have had this episode. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Let's move on to Broad City, which, you know, much like Kimmy Schmidt and uh, Children's Hospital, had some really fun cameos and guest performers. Uh, this week, I mean, we got to talk about Alia Shawkat, right? Should we start with Alia Shawkat? Yeah, I mean, th- there are there are two major guest performers this this week. Uh, one of them was excellent. The other one was okay, if you ask me. Well, I um, liked it. I liked her more than you did. But let's yes, start with the I one know. we agree is excellent. Yes, um... Apparently, they've been wanting to have Alia Shawkat on for a while because they've been acutely aware of the fact that her and Alana Glazer have a weird resemblance. And what I like about the casting is that, and actually the, just the design of the character, is that she doesn't look exactly like Alana in any way, shape, or form, but just certain aspects of the way that her character presents and styles herself. She doesn't wear the same clothes, but she has the same like assertive personal style like if the aesthetic choices aren't aren't the same the vibe is very similar so i like the fact that they're not like literally a mirror image but they're close enough that it's eerie and then weird yeah exactly well and alana just not seeing it and the the shotgun character absolutely knowing instantly knowing uh is a fun dichotomy there uh just this is the more this is the wealthy more put together version of Alana and yeah it's just they have so much fun with it it's great and talk about you know we've been complimenting the show for being so sex positive all season with the potential you know other than uh our issues or your issues specifically with Kirk Steele last week um you know and the 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 porn shaming kind of you know thing that goes and becomes an element of last week's episode here they're right back to sex positive in a really you know great empowering way well, um, what I particularly like about it is that we've had a season and a half of uh, of Alana talking about how gay she is, yeah, and but never, never any follow through. So for them to just like to actually put it on the screen for once was uh, was a really nice touch. Yeah. Well, let's talk quickly about Kelly Ripa because I really enjoyed that part of the episode too. Not as I mean, obviously, it's not quite as um, as successful as the Shawkat stuff, just because it's such a great idea. But I mean, I I thought it was really fun. I I enjoyed it, and in watching Abby have to you know deal with you know the, her her uh, fandom and everything, and um, I, the Bed Bath and Beyond callback coming back, David Wayne showing up as. Uh, you know, random person along the path to Ripa. Uh, it was just fun. Uh, it was all right. I mean, I got that weird vibe that you sometimes get with people like Ripa when they show up on shows like this, where I feel like they're trying to prove that they're down and cool. Maybe I'm just projecting, but it, 
uh, I don't know why, but it, it always brings me back to Tom Cruise in, in Tropic Thunder. Uh, like, here, guys, I'm hip. I can make fun of myself. Uh, obviously, nowhere near as as risible as Tom Cruise. Always. <laughs> but uh, but I don't know. Like, uh, uh, Maybe it's also because I have absolutely no connection to Kelly Ripa nor Good Morning America. Is that the show? Um, one of, one of them. I'm not sure. Today, I, I'm not sure. Right. Anyway, I have absolutely no connection to American Morning Television. Uh, so it didn't have the same, I guess, novelty value that it had for, for some people. She's obviously having a very good time with it. Uh, so, so good for her. I noticed that Susan Sarandon was, was, was throwing them Twitter love today. So I'm assuming that from here on out, every season, we're just going to get a couple of ridiculous cameos, uh, just for, just for shits and giggles. And this, this felt like exactly that and not much more to me. See, but I really like the specificity of it. It's not Julia Roberts. It's Kelly Ripa. It's it's like the level of celebrity, obviously very famous, bajillionaire, all that stuff. But it's not, you know, Scarlett Johansson. It's not like, you know, the the person, the first person that you would think of as who is America's sweetheart. For some people, and clearly for Abby, that answer is obviously Kelly, Kelly Ripa. If you made me write down a list of 10 people, Kelly Ripa would not have been on it. And that's what I enjoy. Right. That's fair. Uh, I guess it... it my lack of a personal connection, I think, hurt that that part of the episode. Fair enough. Um, any other thoughts on Broad City, or should we move on to Jane the Virgin, which we're so glad oh to have God. back. Let's so do good. that. Jane! Yes, Jane. I saw a picture today from the writer's room of all the actors and the writers and the crew reacting to being done with their table read of the finale, and I was like, oh, this makes me happy, but also very sad. Um, anyway, we'll get to the fact that all things end later. We've had some, some difficulty with Latin lover narrator, much as we love him. Um, there has been a, there was a tendency, especially in the episodes right after the hiatus to over explain and over remind and even step on dialogue in some cases, which is, I don't like to feel like I'm against Latin lover narrator. Uh, also we had issue with the whole inconsistency of truth telling thing, but that's not an issue this week. And I felt like they got just the right balance with both the inner titles and the narration this week. And I just need them to always do that. Yeah, the like you say, the, the balance was fantastic. Um, you know what I just realized we didn't have any of? And I'm so glad because I negative missed it. Uh, murder mystery plot. Uh, and certainly we get a little bit with Aaron, but we don't have the, the detectives and we don't have all that stuff. We don't have any Rose. We don't have any... Uh, uh, of of Raf's sister, and so we don't have any of that. And I just, I didn't miss it even a little bit because I care about the relationships and the characters on the show. I do not care about the the twists, and I think the show knows that that is their strength. So the Rogelio and uh, and Zoe stuff I think is great and really you know it's fun to see the the set again and Peach and all of that. Um and uh, the you know the 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 abuela stuff uh with the quiz and and jane is great getting to see just how even though they're not together and jane loves raf but seeing the dynamic between um jane and michael that's they've known each other for years they were going to get married and they were very good friends for a very long time so of course they have this great dynamic that you know she and raf just don't have yet i mean it, it was great to see that yeah, um, I'm sort of looking forward to the point in the show, maybe chapter 27 or something, where all the main characters are friends. Yeah, and and I, I'm I'm I guess I'm annoyed that we're not already there yet, and we have to still have to get stuff like Raph looking on and feeling bad that they're talking, and then we have mm -hmm. to deal with like they're going to handle it really well when they handle it, but I'm still annoyed that they have to do that or feel like they have to do that. 
or you know worse have that have her ping pong between them slowly over time which feels like a necessity of the design of a show like this but also feels counter to what they're trying to do which is everything we love about jane yeah exactly uh like which again this is something i brought up before and they've always found interesting ways around these things so maybe i'm just an idiot but um I, I specifically wanted to mention Aaron because I think it was six or seven episodes ago when when he first showed up, you were like, yeah, I don't buy that character. And <laughs> you were right. You were right not to buy that character. Yep. I'm sorry. So, I don't eat you. vegetables. I mean, come on. That's not a thing <laughs> anyone says. And if it is, then they aren't on a TV show because we would just want to kill them through the screen. There you so, go. Yeah. It's, it's good that they finally resolve that. Um, yeah, any other things you want to get into? What did you think of the romance cutaways? I really like that shot of her sitting, you know, the the long shot on the beach and everything. I thought that was a really nice visual. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as as someone who feels strongly about TV weddings and proposals, how did you feel about, about Raph's proposal? How did, how did that rank in the proposals of the ages? Well, it was very sweet and a grand gesture. And as you mentioned uh, to me, you know, after you'd seen it, after we both seen it, uh, the actor... Uh, has a history of such such gestures and they're delightful you can find out just google justin valdani and um he did a proposal that was epic apparently and also a baby announcement video that is adorable that yes you can watch online um and uh so i thought that that was a nice little connection there but also it fit it fits with Raph and what we know of him and i also really like jane's response um of I've known you for a few months. Uh, yep, that I think it's it's great, and that she doesn't just get swept away with that because she is someone who believes in destiny and fate at some to some extent, which is part of why she got together with Raph in the first place. But she's still a sensible person, and um, I liked the resolution she comes to that the reason she's struggling is because she knows she knows her answer but she doesn't want it to be her answer um Mm -hmm. so i thought that came together in a nice way at the end well and i think the episode actually despite the resurgent michael sort of uh, i think the episode actually makes a great case for why it should be her and raf because when they when one of them screws up and it's not always just raf anymore which is good Mm -hmm. um they actually they are honest with each other about it and they 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 call each other out on their respective bullshit which is still yeah. fairly minor, but is still bullshit. And oh my god! Res- I was so pissed off at her for testing him. I was just like, <laughs> "You do not make me call you a bee because I can't call you a bitch because I like you too much." But don't make me do it, Jade. And then, then he just immediately called her out on it, and I was just so happy because that's I'm I I am not a fan of that approach to relationships that I know at least television would have me believe a lot of women are. Um, I don't think that a lot of women are. I think it's just a, a thing that TV likes to represent. So I was very glad to see it immediately called out. Uh, and I like it that it's a family trait. Like she kind of picked that up from her mom. And so they both mm-hmm. are doing this week and both of the men in their lives are saying, no, that's not how you treat people. That's bullshit. So I, I yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, that was great. Uh, and, and I feel like that, that sort of, uh, that sort of mutual constant, almost tiring honesty uh, mm-hmm. is something that her and Michael just never had, even even when we saw them before. So, yeah, that was nice to see. And that's why I'll, I'll always be Team Raph. Yeah. Well, and, and y- you get the sense that her and Michael never really had any conflicts arise, any any troubles or any hard times until, 
you know, you get accidentally artificially inseminated and all of a sudden, drama. Um, and, and, and they didn't weather that well. And thus far, um, her and Raph are. And so I think it, it makes a good argument for, the, for them here. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, we should move on because uh, it's, we got several more shows here. Um, next, uh, but we're very glad. Jane, welcome back. We needed some time off. There are too many shows, but we're very glad that you're back. Um, next up is The Last Man on Earth, Sweet Melissa. And last week, of course, the end of the episode, we saw January Jones show up. What? How do you think they deployed her here? Are you glad that there is more than one uh, Last Woman on Earth? Well, I mean, the, the most fascinating thing to me about them casting January Jones is that ever since Mad Men started, there's been a, a pretty... Uh, there's been a strong segment of the of the viewing population that's like, hey, everyone on Mad Men is great, except January Jones. She's wooden as hell, which I've never really bought. Uh, I I think that she's she was she's always been appropriately cast as a person who uh, doesn't necessarily uh, show a lot, um, and I I think also uh, other casting things haven't helped her out as much. So it, I think it's great to see her in a role where she actually gets to be. Uh, a normal modern person uh, or relatively normal in the context of a show like this and actually feels kind of relaxed and easygoing as opposed to being stuffed into, um, you know, boutique vintage wear or anything like that. Um, the, as I, I said last week that this episode was going to be a big test because it's another hurdle for them to go, to go over. And it's, it's, they need to do something more than, um, it's awkward now because there's a sexy person here, um, or you know, a conventionally attractive person, and now it's gonna be it's gonna be awkward. I think the the, the best thing that they do is they, uh, as they have in other episodes, they lean into how truly awful Phil is. Um, and I, I've I've seen other people complain about the characterization of Carol, but I think the distinction is that Carol is annoying, but Phil is actively kind of a prick. Yeah, I don't have any problem with the characterization of Carol here. Um, I'm. I don't, I just, I just don't see, like, I could see that before, especially with this notion of her as the nag and people being really tired of that trait and, you know, the overrepresentation of women with that, um, descriptor, I guess, as opposed to men. Um, but I don't have any trouble with Carol here. I am very disappointed in the show though. I gotta say already, uh, based on this episode, because it's like they went down a list of the most predictable things that you could do with this beat and they do them all. And uh, so it's exactly what I think everyone should have expected based on the way that the last episode ended. Um, it's yeah. just, uh, it, and I have so much respect for the, the creators and I really think there's so much potential with this show and I really have enjoyed the other episodes but this just felt hacky. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's not the most, uh, it, it absolutely just logically follows from the previous episode and what we know of the characters in the most sort of predictable way. Uh, again, I'm left with, uh, I'm, I'm left with a feeling of, okay, now what? Like, I'm still wondering what is, what does the show look like in three weeks, in four weeks, in a season? Like, are they, is it just going to be, is it going to be them? Are there going to be more people? How are they going to handle it? Um, the, the future of the show is so much more uncertain than any other network sitcom that I've ever enjoyed would be within. It's like, like the, by now the template should be set up 
for a network sitcom. And in this case, they're still building and destroying the template every episode or two, um, which is really strange and fascinating. But I agree that in that in the context of this episode, it wasn't the most interesting way they could have gone with it. That being said, next week is apparently an hour long episode for some reason. Yeah, that's true. Which, uh, all right. I assume it's just like a two parter. That they're going to air back to back. That's what makes sense to me. That's how they did the pilot or the the first two episodes. Um, yeah, I guess it, it just was very disappointing to see such creative writers and performers take, you know, the addition of a third person and turn it into every sitcom episode about uh, a guy who, like, meets his friend's hot sister or something. You know, we've seen right, this a yeah. million times before. There's nothing original or creative here at all, um, and uh, and that you know the the originality and the fun of of the other episodes has been what's really been been the selling point for me, as well as the uh, uh, just the performances. So, you know, the I actually I, I like Jamie Jones' performance here. It's it's great to see her just kind of play the, the note of get oh, there's. There's one person. There's one man left on Earth. There's there's and another woman, guy. and she seems like she's she's really nice and sweet. And then it's this guy, and he's just every other creeper I've ever had to deal with being a hot chick. Um, and so that was kind of nice, and I, I I absolutely agree. It's great to see her playing a modern normal woman. Totally agree with that. But just everything else was just. Oh, I'm very underwhelmed, and uh, I kind of don't even... I feel like I know what's going to happen in the next episode, because based on the next week on, there's this discussion of should he sleep with her as well, because they need to repopulate. Um, and he gets the... You know, it looks like he's going to get the go-ahead, and ooh, I, I would be very, very surprised if the episode doesn't then, right before they're going to have sex, another guy shows up, and he's hot, and so she goes off with him instead. Like, that is that is what I'm expecting from this show, at this point, and that was like one of the fastest turnarounds I've had on a show that I was really <laughs> uh, interested in in a long time. Well, as we've said, or at, or at least as as was discussed, you know, this the whole premise is super high risk, high reward, and with risk comes people messing up, and yeah. this is potentially one of the situations. Again, I feel like I feel like with Last Man, it's always like, oh well, let's see how they handle that. So. Yeah. Let's see how they handle Let's that. Let's see how they handle that. Well, how do you think <laughs> yeah. that girls handled uh, the, their their post-revelation episode here, um, Daddy Issues, uh, where, where we have Hannah dealing with her father being gay, and uh, he comes out to New York. We get stuff with Ray and with, of course, Marnie and Desi. Uh, what, what, how did you, you like this episode? Um, it was fine. There's, I don't feel like there's too much to say about girls this week. I am disappointed that they have committed to throwing Mimi Rose under the bus. Um, yeah. That's clearly, there's no going back with that character now. She's just awful. And, um, the, I mean, unless you think there is. No. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. There's, no, we, we've already discussed my thoughts on relationship games. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I, I I I have really enjoyed Gillian Jacobs in the role and that whole scene of of her deciding that she's gonna she's I'm just gonna do me and then Quinto's reaction to that was was beautiful, um, but yeah they went full on shtick with her, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, I'm not sure like how the, Girls is one of the few shows right now that I think is actually benefiting from being a week to week experience. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I feel as though if I were sitting down to watch it from beginning to end, I might be annoyed with how much jerking around there was. If that makes any sense? Yeah. I would have liked to have gotten more time with Adam and Mimi Rose, especially because we talked, you know, we heard from Jessa how happy Adam was in this relationship, and we didn't get a chance to see that, really. Um, Unless she was just lying, which, you know. She could have been, but I don't think she was. Um, Yeah, it would have been nice to get more time there. And uh, as for the rest of the episode, uh, Marnie just being the worst. Ray Uh. also... Poor Ray. Just, dude, come on. It's Marnie. Look look at this. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, the directorial choice to, like, zoom in on on Marnie and also Desi being kind of creepy uh, was interesting. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really did like the last scene, though, with, with Hannah and and Ray. That was, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the episode. But, yeah, like you said, the, the finale is next week. And so if there were more episodes... In the in the season, I think we would have gotten more time with uh, Adam and Mimi Rose, and I did very much enjoy both uh, Gillian Jacobs and uh, uh, Ken, uh, Zachary Quinto in the in their roles. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice to get more time with them. But I think they wanted to have that tied up by the end of the season. So now we'll have to see what happens in the finale. Any final thoughts? Uh, no. Again, we'll we'll wait and see how they handle that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, they've had better episodes, uh, but it was certainly not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, how about uh, looking looking for sanctuary? What did you think of you know how how are you feeling about Patrick's mom right now? Um, I, I I like the character of Patrick's mom. I like the performance. Uh, but overall, I thought this was probably one of the less distinguished episodes of the season. I really, uh, I'm really torn on the character of Patrick's sister Megan. Have we ever seen her before? I want to say we've heard about her, but not met her. Right. Or if we did, like, maybe briefly last season or something. But yeah, I don't don't think that we have. Um, On one hand, I'm not not satisfied with the... uh, With every aspect of the performance and writing. She feels kind of two-dimensional in some ways, especially compared to other looking characters. On the other hand, uh, people who are in their honeymoon phase can be insanely smug and insufferable and judgmental so i kind of want to give it to them well yeah there's that but also i think she's very aware whether or not she's expressing that doesn't seem like she is that this is a man kevin who was engaged to a person and that he had had a, a lengthy committed relationship with and then out of the blue decided to not work on the relationship and just leave his fiance for somebody else. So why should he, why is he not going to do the exact same thing to Patrick a couple years down the line? Which fine. That's a perfectly valid opinion to have. Not a great way to express that opinion to your family member. No, 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 no. Well, it it may be that she's just being, because she's, there's clearly some bitchiness there at least right now. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Totally smug. Um, So she may not even be seeing that that's where that's coming from, but that, that I don't know. That's what I kept waiting to hear yeah. from her. But and, and it's good to have and or latent uh, and or latent newlywed insecurity. Yeah, yeah. Um, having there be somebody who's actually who's friends with John though, you know, or has a connection to John, I think is good because the show's done such a great job of building up Patrick and Kevin and getting us to root for them, even when he was, you know, it was an affair. Um, that I mm-hmm. think it's easy to forget 
the collateral damage. So uh, while, yes, Megan is being rather insufferable in this episode, I think it is, I like that they don't just sweep that completely under the rug. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's just, uh, the, the writing for that character is just a little bit more sort of broad and uh, straightforward than I'm used to from looking. I think that was a little bit, uh, I'd, I'd brace against that, but I don't, I don't think it was by any means bad. What about Dom? Uh, oh, Dom. Dom cannot catch a break. Well, no, Dom did a very, very stupid thing, and then shock yes. and astonishment, it came back to bite him. Yeah, um, I mean, the, uh, I, I have no doubt that he and Doris will patch it up, mm-hmm. probably, by the end of the next episode, Pro- which, I'm sorry to say, probably the last looking we're ever gonna get next week. Don't say um, it! I know, I know, we just, we need to start facing it, or at least expecting it so that we could be pleasantly surprised later um we're not gonna be pleasantly surprised later anyway the but i'm hoping that they patch it up next week because it's gonna be their last chance probably um but you know we, we've been headed for this uh schism for a while and it's uh uh it, it shows up at, at a logical time in a logical way and i think both uh both performers really they cut right to the heart of the issue i, I just hope they can give us some resolution yeah. I, I assume there will be. I also liked getting Frank back, however briefly, and uh, really, you know, getting Frank's perspective on Augustine is basically how we've all been feeling about Augustine this year. Um, and right. so I really like how the show and the, the character handled that interaction. And uh, I also really liked Augustine calling Eddie out. And they're like, hey, you don't like it. Yeah. Then commit to me. I'll commit to you. Right. Yeah, because Eddie's basically been the better person all season. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's always had that that position of advantage, so it's nice for Augustine to once be able to say, "Okay, but here's no. the thing." Yeah. yeah, and they they've reached an almost Pat, Patrick Kevin level of adorability. Yeah, well, uh, what wins your week in comedy? It's been a very very full week here. Uh, is it the you know uh, the, the Jane the Virgin it, Award goes to? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It goes to Jane. Honorable mention, though, I would say to Man Seeking Woman. Um, but yeah, I, I gotta give it back to Jane, uh, here, cause we just love this show so much. <laughs> yep, we do. Okay, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre and reality. genre and reality the amazing race is still going on and fortitude is still going on we feel pretty much the same way we did last time we talked about both those shows uh we'll talk about them more in the future but there is too much other stuff to talk about and we're already too far behind so 
to be continued on those. Uh, quickly, I wanted to mention I have seen the first uh, episode and like almost two episodes of iZombie, which is debuting uh, tonight. As you know, theoretically, when this goes up in your feed, it may have de- debuted last night, depending on when this goes up in your feed. But I, I really enjoyed the pilot. I think it's a, it's a very solid pilot. It is um, from Rob Thomas. And it, it's from the co-creators of uh, Veronica Mars, uh, so it, there are certainly parallels to be made or comparisons to be made. It is nowhere near the Veronica Mars pilot, as far as I'm concerned. But I do think that the show has a lot of promise. It stars Rose McIver, who we uh, fans of Masters of Sex will know as Vivian from there. And so it was really great to see her get a starring vehicle. Um, and I think it's really fun. So people should check it out. Uh, Simon, you haven't had a chance to see it yet. So we're just going to leave it there. We'll talk about it more next week. Um, but we got to get into finale talk because The 100 had its finale. Blood Must Have Blood Part 2. Banshee had its finale. We all pay eventually. And then The Jinx had its finale. This, we'll talk about... Uh, that episode as well as the last couple weeks episodes so the state of texas versus robert durst family values and the second interview uh but first let's let's go to the the hundred finale blood must have blood part two i want to start with jaha because i know we've hated that plot for the past several weeks uh we get some fun stuff here he just throws a just throws a kid off a boat gets eaten by a monster uh and and even murphy is not buying his crap anymore are you glad the show has just committed to no Jaha's just kind of crazy and clearly full of it? Uh, I mean, it's okay. It's nowhere near as good as uh, he walks up to this, you know, beautiful building and says, finally, we're here. And then a turret comes, comes off the roof and cuts him into pieces. That would have been amazing. <laughs> uh, this was, eh, um, it's hard to avoid also that this is structurally identical to season one where it's like, oh, we've got our new promised land, but it's kind of shady and weird. Um, although it is, at, I mean, it, it, it is kind of nice just to watch someone have fun in, in a lavish apartment or tower lighthouse, whatever it is. Also, the lighthouse looked really cool. I mean, a, a um, hatch with music playing from, you know, uh, yeah. older music. Yeah. A <laughs> little bit. <clears throat> anyway, a little bit, a little bit lost. Uh, but yeah, I still... And let me use Werewolf of London as our lead in music, so I'll give it to him, because that's a fun song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still I still negative, 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 negative care about Jaha. Uh, anyway, we should talk about the main thrust of the episode, which is obviously the Mountweather stuff. And I'm going to just go out on a limb here. Um, I, th- I didn't see a lot of chatter about this finale, but I assume that there must have been a segment of the population who, who thought that uh that uh Clark and Bellamy essentially gassing a whole bunch of people to death um was shocking if anything i think that they underplayed that sequence um if you've introduced a whole bunch of innocent people and children into your universe and then you have your ostensible heroes kill them all let's see those children die horrible deaths let's do it do it all the way and this felt if anything kind of sanitized to me yeah and I was very glad that we didn't get the gratuitous shot of the the suffering children because I didn't want that either. But you know, maybe include them in the as you you get the wide shot. There's a bunch of bodies. There's a little body. There's another big body. There's a little body. There were a bunch of kids in that line, mm-hmm. uh, and if they're all in the same place, we don't. We, I don't want a close in. I don't want the syrupy music and the what have we wrought, you know, kind of camera work, but. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I think they could have done a better job connecting it visually with the gassing of the people on the Ark, 
or the asphyxiation of the people on the Ark. Um, and maybe there was an element there. Maybe there were a couple of visual callbacks that I was missing, but I didn't, at least I wasn't get, getting a strong, I had to like remember that that was a direct parallel that, you know, should be happening. Um, other, otherwise with the rest, I mean, I think they do a good job. They stick true to sort of the premise of the show or the, uh, the subtext of the show, which is let's set up a bunch of terrible choices and see what these characters do. So having it be kill 20 children as well as like hundreds of other people or watch your mom continue to get tortured. I thought they did a good job with it. Um, yeah, so so I I think yes, anyone who thought Maya was gonna go off happily get a, get a, a bone marrow donation from Jasper and join the the people that wasn't that's not what was gonna happen. Either everybody at Mount Weather was gonna die, or a lot of people weren't gonna die. So as soon as a lot of people were gonna die at Mount Weather, it seemed obvious to me that she was not gonna make it. Um, but the other stuff I think on the whole went well. I liked what they did with Bellamy. Uh, I. I the gauge stuff with um, Lincoln at the end was, you know, that's just, I, I guess I, I just didn't need that, I guess. Um, I really wish What's-His-Face hadn't very clearly escaped so that he can return later to uh, wreak havoc. We already have one Murphy on this show. We don't need to. Um, but yeah, I thought that there were a bunch of people who had gotten bone marrow treatments uh are they all already gone? Because nobody seemed to have survived in that room, and it seems like they should have. Uh, I really don't know. It didn't seem like they, they did precise accounting on that. Um, I, I guess, personally, I'm just kind of bored with the show. Like, And and I mean, I don't mean to sound like a broken record on this, but I'm, I'm just mystified as to... Like, I understand... Um, I understand that people specifically like the show because of its representation of uh, of female leadership and the fact that people like Clark and Lexa and Clark's mom, Abby, she's just Abby. Thank you. Uh, just they're they're the leaders. Everyone's usually mostly okay with it, and when they're not okay with it, it has nothing to do with their gender. That's cool. Um, I'm gonna be a little bit of a dick here and say that. I wonder sometimes if shows get credit just for writing their characters as being gender neutral rather than having anything specific to say about gender relations. Um, but I'm just going to leave that there and walk away slowly. Uh, <laughs> um, the But more importantly, I think that what I'm really tired of is, um, I mean, did, did you not roll your eyes the multiple times in this episode where characters said something about how there are no good guys or I thought we were the good guys, but actually we're the bad guys? Were you not thinking of... I thought we had white hats, but then it turns out that we had black hats or <laughs> striped hats or gray white hats hat with the uh, the black hat inside, and the but the linings white. Yeah, and the, a, yeah. Yes, exactly. Little uh, bit. Like, oh, just trust your audience a teensy little bit, and maybe find a new theme ever. Well, but you know, I did like, I did actually like some of that that we were getting when it was with um, Raymond J. Barry, that character. Um, mm. I, I did. I thought the way, the way that Clark was talking to him made sense and fit with very much with uh, with what their experience had been. And I also like that she isn't letting him get it was like, oh, this is just what we had to do. And she's like, uh, no, no, you didn't call him bullshit on that because you did not have to torture our people. There's a lot of things you could have done. This is not what you're just admit that your son forced your hand because that's what happened here. Um, so, yeah. 
And just like Lexa didn't have to make the decision that she did, but she made that choice. And when, when pressing it by Clark, she said, I did what was best for my people. Not you took away my only choice. She, she acknowledged the choice of it, I guess. So when, mm-hmm. um, when that character was saying, was pretending that he didn't have a choice, um, that's, if anything, that's what I get tired of on the show. Um, because it comes up a, a lot and, and Clark says this stuff a lot too. We didn't have a choice. It's like, no, you did. You didn't have a good choice, but you'd had a choice. Right. Don't, you know, take away your, your ownership of that, um, you know, lesser of two evils. Um, so yeah, I guess that's sort of where I'm at with that. Right. Um, and also how could you not roll your eyes at, at Clark being like, I can't stay. I have to leave and not not be here but but I'll also but bye but I'll but I'll be back but bye. Well, no, I was fine. She's very traumatized and she just can't be around people. That makes sense to me. I'm not surprised. It doesn't t- I mean it also ties in with all the messianic stuff or or, or um not even mess- messianic but um the the Moses leading their people through trial and tribulation and then they can't answer the promised land. There's been a bunch of that kind of thread threaded throughout the season so uh that made sense i wasn't hugely surprised but yeah i i think a lot of the mount weather stuff did didn't get pulled off in the way that i would have liked over the course of the season um i thought there were some good ideas and some good actors and it's too bad like the pacing and some of these other things made it not come together in a way that i would have liked or 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 not as well as it could have been i guess um so i'm hoping for greater focus in season three can i just add but the last thing i'm going to say is this got poo-pooed when i said it maybe five or six weeks ago or longer ago um but i'm going to reiterate it now because i think i was right the first time this show has totally become teen walking dead not teen Battlestar. in the in the way yeah. that it migrates from problem area to problem area presents characters with horrible choices uh turns our ostensible heroes into at best anti-heroes Etc. Etc. It's starting to feel very Walking Dead to me. I think it's going to come down to next season. Um, I think for me, next season will determine because I think parts of it have seemed very Battlestar and parts of it have seemed very Walking Dead. So let's give them the summer to you know they tried something new this this year. Uh, let's see what let's give them the summer and see how they come back from the break, and that will. I'm on the fence, I guess, is what I'll say. I will absolutely agree that a lot of this season has not felt like Baby Battlestar in the way that the first season did. Um, and that could just be the larger scope of it um, with all these different locations and everything. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm still I'm withholding judgment on that. Any other thoughts on the 100 finale? Or, or is it time for Banshee? Let's do Banshee. We all pay eventually. What did you think? Uh, I I am not the biggest Banshee fan, but I like it enough to have watched this finale. I, I didn't watch the last couple episodes, so sue me. Um, I almost have nothing to say about this except it sure was Banshee. <laughs> um, it sure was. Yeah, when when we get the and I apologize, I can't remember the character's name. Gordon, right? Maybe the yeah. the mayor, just randomly gearing up and just being able to just straight up join the fray as like like he's been equally trained as uh sheriff the the you know hood you know man the man without a name and carrie and job and all of them i'm like eh, that feels right for banshee it doesn't feel right for you know logic but it feels right for banshee uh so right this was a very banshee finale um it felt though a little different because we get that cliffhanger element with job uh, i don't know if they would have done that if 
they I don't know if they knew if they were coming back when they were re renewed. But um, what this really does kind of put in context for me is, why did we spend all that time with Chayton all year? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, because they needed enough plot for ten episodes. Um, I mean, when he when he shows up in the first couple episodes of that season, he seems like it almost seems the other way around. Like like this army asshole or ex army asshole is just like is kind of small potatoes, just like an obstacle they have to overcome. And Chayton's like the real big bad. But then it turned out to be the other way around. Yeah, well, and it was just sort of like these mini arcs that then didn't. Yeah, and, and the the callback to Chayton. Um, and Siobhan and uh, the army guy and and uh, uh, Carrie or Anna did really work. That was, you know, that was great. But I think basically I think they could have really shortened up the Chayton stuff, um, still kept the dramatic conclusion. They could have built up Siobhan more for an episode and a couple episodes without Chayton building stuff up more at the beginning and then had the other stuff proceed as, as usual, and that would have worked better, for, at least for me. Uh, what do you think of Job getting kidnapped at the end? I mean, he'll be fine. You're not worried about <laughs> like, him? What, like, no, they're not going to do anything to Job, ever. Or at least not till the last season or something. They they really cannot lose Job. Yeah, he... that It would be a significant blow to the show, yeah, if Job was not around. Um, what about uh, the stuff of the sheriff... Yeah, the caddy. Are you glad that he's finally resigned as sheriff? Uh, yes. Well, I'm wondering if, because I, as I understand it, they're they're moving production to New Orleans. Is that it next season? Okay. Um, they're they're moving production to New Orleans or somewhere. Anyway, they're moving from where they shoot now to somewhere else, and I wonder if that means they're actually going to change setting. Which would make a lot of sense considering the carnage they've just wrought, but this is Banshee and things tend not to make sense. Uh, so I don't want to overthink it, but if that's the case, it would, I mean, I would assume that Brock's just got the job and that's it. Um, yeah, but we're clearly going to yeah. see more of that stuff, or else they wouldn't have introduced all the stuff with the, uh, the, you know, with, um, I'm sorry, he's always just going to be, uh, the guy from Treme. No, well, the, but the oh, brother. That, right, yeah. Yeah. Yes. JP from uh, Jermaine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't really know what it all means, and I, and I don't, I don't particularly care enough about Banshee to speculate. Uh, I will add though, like, did your feelings towards Proctor and Rebecca modulate at all over the course of the season, or are you still at the baseline position of you don't really care? Well, I'm glad that they moved away from them being, you know, incest buddies. Um, <clears throat> I, I like that they gave Rebecca a few things to. Like she tries to, you know, strut her stuff and you know flex her muscles a bit, and it blows up in her face because she's a stupid eighteen-year-old girl, uh, seventeen-year-old girl. Uh, well, she's stupid, but you know she's she's seventeen. That but she's seventeen by definition. Yeah. Um. So I thought that I thought that worked nicely. Um. But no, I still just, I don't very I don't care very much about them. Um. I care more about Kai than I did at the start of the season because of the stuff they did with his mom thought that was interesting and um yeah it just it, by the end of the season you've almost reset to the beginning of the season that's where he's concerned and uh he's just a little bit darker than he was and so that just you know again there a lot of people really like that character and are very invested in that storyline um and they will have enjoyed the stuff i was fine with what we got in the finale i thought it just you know again it was very banshee but uh 
as long as Hood isn't working with or for him next year, I'm good. Yeah, it's sort of where it, I couldn't really understand the significance of that last scene unless that's what it was, but I can't see them going that way. I just Personality-wise, no. Yeah, it, it felt like they either didn't know what the last scene should be or that that's where they're going with it. And either way, it was like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. Anyway, uh, I continue to be somewhat baffled by Banshee, to be honest. I, I understand basically why people like it, but, um, I mean, we have a whole Under the Hood podcast devoted to it. Um, yes, o- go, over check, on on site. go check them out. Uh, friends of the show, Sean yes. Paletti and uh, Les Chapel, they're fabulous. Go listen to their podcast. Yeah. People feel passionately about Banshee, and also people feel passionately about The 100, and I wish that I felt passionately about either one, but I just really don't, and I'm... I, I feel like I'm on the other side of the river waving, and I'm not sure why. Well, uh, do you feel passionately about the jinx, which aired its finale <laughs> last night? Uh, I was on the fence about it uh, earlier on. I wasn't sure um, about even watching it based on the, the sensibilities of the show, of the of the you know, Jarecki and the producers. It felt very um, sensationalized and exploitative to me early on. Um, what'd you think of that finale? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, wow. Here's the thing. I still don't understand some basic elements of the production of this show and this finale, which really went behind the curtains to a degree that I appreciated and actually I would have liked to have seen in the other episodes. Um, as, 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 insightful as that was there i still there are timeline aspects that i just don't understand uh there was a new york times uh article that went up sort of more or less in tandem with this episode and they talked about how they um there were legal issues with presenting evidence that they had um which i still don't really get apparently them bringing in evidence uh makes uh, threatens to make them into a form of law enforcement or something yeah. like that, which creates other legal issues. Uh, oh, the United States. I love you guys. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> uh, so that wasn't addressed in the episode, which I think was a mistake. Um, but on the other hand, uh, Robert Durst has been arrested, which is a thing that would not have happened if the jinx did not exist. <laughs> uh, it, it would not have happened if uh, if Jarecki and his team had not been uh, doing independent research for years. And uh, we would not get to see Janine Pirro uh, looking at that letter and saying, son of a bitch, and realizing that they could actually nab the motherfuckers. So um, my feelings are very mixed and very confused at the moment. But I will say, like, you can't watch that last scene and not just be kind of blown away, even though you know that it's probably useless in a court of law well yeah and you know a friend of the show david Bax, made an excellent point on twitter which was we've seen in the other you know recordings we have of durst he adopts the like devil's advocate other position frequently in the other yeah, like the if someone was asking him a question like what they would say and what they would expect him to say that kind of thing a lot so he easily could have been doing that you know i think i think that's not a hard argument to make obviously I think he's guilty. I think he's guilty as goddamn sin. Uh, and I'm so very happy that apparently it looks like they have evidence that will finally be able to bring him to justice. Uh, however, I, I agree with David that the 
as chilling as that audio at the end is, I don't think it's a slam dunk one way or the other. I don't think it tells you anything that you didn't already know from previously. I do not think it is a confession. Um, yeah. So, so I, you, but it, that doesn't take away from the power of, of that audio. Um, but yeah, it's very, while I am glad that the jinx exists, not because it's, uh, has, led to the at least the arrest we'll see what happens in the, in a trial of um of Robert Durst uh and it's fascinating and amazing documentary uh television uh when as soon as you start looking at the timeline that that interview with Durst was recorded like 3 years ago and they said we only found that audio 2 years after we recorded it but if you look at when he was arrested and therefore when the the that had to have happened, when that interview had to have happened because it took place after he had been arrested for, you know, creeping on his brother, uh, that just can't be true because of when, like, the the timeline just doesn't line up. It just it, it doesn't. Uh, so that raises more questions. And yes, this notion, I think I, I was very, very happy to have early in this finale um, Jarecki standing at the chalkboard saying our most important priority here is justice and discovering that they couldn't, it, it, the way that they disclosed things to the cops, um, evidence to the cops would affect, um, their admissibility in court and their ability to continue to exploit this relationship they had with Durst to get him to keep talking. I think that's very interesting and a fascinating side of the uh, of the legal process that I don't know much about. Hey, The Good Wife, th here's an episode for you. This is an episode yep. that I would love to see The Good Wife too. Um, I think that's that's fascinating. However, um, I just it's one of those things where you don't really necessarily want to think about the timeline because they've been making the the jinx for ten years and they filmed that interview with him. Which means they have basically, in their minds, known he did it and had evidence, slam dunk evidence about it for three years. So, this is not, this is a man who likes to just disappear and has the money to do it. This is a man who kills people to shut them up. Ah, uh, and they held on to that evidence. They, they only recently discovered that evidence, uh, two years later, or, uh, they held on to that evidence for three years so that they could make their documentary. That's kind of terrible. Well, and like, again, like we, I'm withholding overall judgment uh, because I feel like there's just a lot that I still don't know. Yeah. Uh, it could be as simple as the guys, uh, whoever, uh, the, 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 it could be as simple as like they, they said two years, they meant to round down to 1.5 years or whatever. Yes. I don't know. It could be, it could have been a simple, uh, a, a simple factual error. Um, I'm willing to give them a, a little bit of benefit on the doubt on uh, benefit of the doubt on this. Um, so, I mean, for me, my, my opinion on the situation is fluid. I'm waiting to see, because I haven't really seen any serious post series interviews with Jarecki, uh, where anyone's just really parsed it out with him. So I guess what we'll see, I will say that for now, I mean, my favorite part of, of this finale, besides people's individual reactions, I loved the whoever it was behind the camera reacting to them being like, "Oh, I, I believe him when he says he's in he's in uh, he's in Madrid." Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you believe anything he says? <laughs> uh, that was great. 
Um, I loved the uh, the portion of the episode that was interview prep and just watching them figure out the best rhetorical way to approach. Like, start with softball questions, then show him this, then this, then this. If he does this, go that way with it. If he does this, and just ha- that that ten or ten or fifteen minutes where you get into Jarecki's headspace and you think, okay, you're about to sit down with someone and basically tell them that you know that they killed someone. How do you do it? And how do you do it with this guy? And also, you're about to sit down with a person that you know or believe killed one of his best friends because she knew too much. Uh, and you're going to tell him, uh, hi, person, that I'm on a friendly first name kind of basis with. Uh, I think that you did it. And here's the evidence that you did it. And they kept showing, at least I was noticing this. I don't know if it was intentional on the director's. But they kept showing shots of Jarecki where you could see his wedding ring. So he's got a family, too. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what Durst is going to do. And so to to see the dawning realization of Jarecki over the course of it, I think it was <laughs> so smart to put us into their perspective and to show the ridiculous amount of time and effort and um, strategizing that goes into the conversations we've seen him have with other people throughout the rest of the, the series. Um, I think that was fantastic. And um, it would have been nice if there hadn't been such a video quality drop in this, but um, I would assume they weren't necessarily planning to use this footage originally. They were planning to have it all be interviews. Um, so that's probably why, but, uh, but no, you're absolutely right. The, you know, just the dawning realization over the course of this last 40 minute episode. So glad they didn't try to stretch it out to make it an hour um, of, of, oh no, actually he's in LA, but he thinks that he told us he's in Barcelona, but he actually told us he's in Madrid. Um, and the, the different people being shown this damning evidence. Uh, yeah, it was powerful, powerful television. Yes. Uh, so anyway, in conclusion, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen some extremely breathless hyperbole, uh, in reference to this episode, some of which is earned, uh, and some of which I, I can't co-sign with yet because I'm still waiting for more facts, which is, I, 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 I like, I like being out there with an opinion, so it feels <laughs> weird, but I, I, I can't do that yet because I'm still uh i i st- i i need more information but i think you can agree that this is excellent television depending on oh, how you well, feel it, about anything as, else <laughs> as entertainment it was peerless as <laughs> ethically you know, journalism and and research and all that kind of stuff they jury's had, still out jury's still out okay uh well yeah. um the, one of the least necessary questions we're going to ask on this podcast in, in many, many weeks. What wins your week in genre and documentary, Simon? <laughs> uh, yes, it's it's I mean, um, yeah, it's it's obviously going to be the jinx. It's obviously the jinx uh, as much as we enjoyed uh, Banshee and The Hundred and Fortitude and anything else we watched this week. Yeah, I'm still sort of flabbergasted about by this Um but yeah, it's yeah. I look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say about the Jinx. Yeah, I, I just one final thing to add. Something fascinating that the Jinx points out is that there's such a, an immense difference between being in a room with someone and watching someone through a camera lens. 
you know, yes. when you have so many people on this on on the series talk about, I just believe him. Like I, he just seems believable to me. He seems like a nice guy. He's my friend, um, and he obviously has something that he communicates, some sort of aura that he communicates to people around him that does not translate across the camera lens at all. Yeah, because there are too many people who are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, Susan's uh, son or the juror or, you know, Jarecki earlier on. Um, clearly, he's charming. Clearly. Because he, he wouldn't have won over that jury in Texas if he wasn't charming um, in some way. And when uh, through the lens, that is not the case. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that in and of itself, I think that makes, makes the series worthwhile. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our week in genre and reality. So now we're going to take a break because I think we need one. And we'll come back with our weekend drama. This week in drama, we're going to talk a little better called Saul 5.0, Justified Dark as a Dungeon, The Americans, Walter Taffet, and The Good Wife, or Open Source. Uh, fewer shows this week, but still plenty to talk about. So we'll kick things off with Better Call Saul 5.0. Um, so we talked earlier in comedies about Man Seeking Woman, spotlighting a side character, an underserved character with an uh, excellent actor. And all of a sudden, the show is fa- fantastic. I think we'd both agree that Better Call Saul has been has re- had a really very very strong opening five episodes, um, but this week we get the Mike Ermintrout episode. And uh, is this the version of the? Do you, was this as big of a shift in tone and quality for you as Man Seeking Woman was? I don't know about quality. I think Better Call Saul's had already had some really great episodes. Um, this was more of a lateral shift, I think, of like, this is the show doing a very different kind of really great episode. In, and I've seen other people say this, and I think it's more or less true. This could have been an episode of Breaking Bad. Um, or it could, or with a slight modulation like any Walt, it mm-hmm. could have been an episode of Breaking Bad. Um, and for that, I actually saw some people ding this episode, um, which you're grimacing at me, and I agree. Uh, is- but. I just I think that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna yes. verbalize that. Right. I think that uh, ultimately the 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 effectiveness of the episode comes down to are you moved by what happens uh, to and with regards to Mike? Are you moved by Jonathan Banks's performance and particularly his closing monologue in the episode? Uh, I was to the point of anyway. Uh, I was very moved. <laughs> by it. I was very moved by the episode. And it's powerful to um, having seen Breaking Bad and having seen the show up to this point. Um, we've seen Mike Ehrmantraut for about forty episodes or something ridiculous like that. We're extremely familiar with the character's mannerisms, and to see him actually express anything other than vague disgust, or like vague annoyance, or vague amusement. Uh, for in this uh, series of, of, of very powerful scenes 
is devastating, or at least was devastating to me. And I like that they didn't uh, when they were when they were creating sort of the origin story of this character. Um, Vince Gilligan and and Peter Gold have already betrayed the fact that they're extremely clever, uh, that they're very fond of coming up with uh, spins on things you wouldn't have expected. But their uh, story for Mike is pretty simple, and you probably could have guessed it, and that's fine. It's just really beautifully executed instead, instead of being you know very very labyrinthine. Uh, I think that was a really smart way to go. Absolutely. And the notion that this could have been an episode of a different show, a a standalone kind of isolated, slightly tonally askew from the main narrative or main point of view of a different show, which means it's bad or like not like they shouldn't have done it. That I just don't understand that. Lots of shows do slightly tonally different standalone episodes you know, spotlighting a, a secondary character. And a lot of the times, they're awesome. Todd Vanderwerf wrote up a list of like 10 of them over at Vox this week. Go check it out. I, I think it's specifically the idea that the show's done such a great job at differentiating itself from Breaking Bad. Uh, so to come so to, to come with an episode that felt sort of cut from that cloth uh, felt to some like a step back. Yeah. I, I'm playing devil's advocate I had here. skeptical eyebrow there while you were saying that because... We've talked about how this feels very much of a piece with Breaking Bad. And yes, it's more comedic, but it's also a prequel. So, you know, shit hasn't gotten as dark yet. The earlier seasons of Breaking Bad are nothing compared to the later seasons of Breaking Bad. So I wouldn't say that it's been hugely, totally distinct from Breaking Bad anyways. It's just been, you know, the stuff. I'm not having this conversation with you, by the way. Apparently I'm having it with the internet, and you know how fruitful that, you know, of a conversation that is. So I'm going to stop. Right. But I think this is an excellent episode. My only quibble with the episode is I really enjoy Carrie Condon. I thought she was so much fun, so good on Rome. Loved her on Luck. I just wish they'd let her use her actual accent, because the Hide that you're, uh, what, Irish? Wasn't her accent in luck her actual accent? I believe so. There's a bit of, she's trying, but there's a bit of wandering in that. And that was a bit distracting for me, if only because, again, guys, I don't, I don't know why we have to pretend that nobody, you know, emigrates from other countries in our American TV, you know. As someone with a South American brother-in-law... It's okay to have accents, uh, you know, let let actors use their non-American accents. But um, that was the only thing for me. I, th- I thought visually it was great. I liked how they, you know, bring together Mike and um, and and Jimmy here. I think it made sense and fits, will, will allow them to, um, to bring Mike in more fully in a way that feels organic to the Saul narrative that I assume we'll get back to next week. I think we needed a full episode for that to happen for us to buy it. Not from Jimmy's mm-hmm. perspective, but from, from Mike's. I don't see Mike having any time for Jimmy until the events of this episode. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say specific, like we should wrap this up, but I'll, I'll say that they've done a great job of matching up this Mike with the Mike that we knew from the first couple seasons of his being on Breaking Bad um, I think Breaking Bad kind of botched his character in in the last season in terms of stretching 
um, what he'd be willing to put up with and be a part of. Yeah. But that's Breaking Bad's fault. It's not Better Call Saul's fault, so I'm not going to put it at Peter Gold's feet. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I thought this was a, a tremendous and, and, and immensely uh, moving and powerful episode of television. Um, yeah, cosine. Uh, but let's move on to our next episode here, and that's Justified Dark as a Dungeon. I want to keep this brief because we're already running so long, but uh, so, so I'll just say the main takeaway for me here was Raymond J. Berry! Yay! Uh... Was it though? I'm so um, glad they brought him back before the end. Yes, absolutely for me. Here's the thing: I appreciate. I was reading a, a postmortem with Grammy Oz, who does them every week, and he was talking about how, hey, it's our final season. We're gonna do things you've never seen us do before, and that we'll never get to do again because it's our last season and it's our show, bitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, that's a wonderful way to approach a final season. I wish more showrunners would do that, because, you know, why play it safe? And to some degree, this season has played it safe in some respects. So it's cool that they're, that they're still experimenting. And I love that we get time alone with Raylan, which is something we have not done in seemingly two and a half seasons, uh, when we get that cold open of him going through his dad's old stuff and then eventually burning it fantastic way to open your episode and the fact that we get a picture of francis and and old war letters and things like that that's hugely significant uh my problem is that we had four or five scenes this week of raylan explaining to people that he's done with harlan and done with the past and the past is useless and it's all about the future and the present and also the past is like sort of the same problem i had with the 100 this week of dudes trust that we get this we spent five and a half seasons with this guy we understand what's happening to him. Please stop spelling it out for us. And honestly, the scene with Raymond J. Berry was kind of just more of that to me, as much as I liked the idea. Fair enough. Um, though, I think to highlight that he's posturing, you need him to say it more than once. But, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, certainly, as much as I have enjoyed this last season, I think it's a return to form after some of the issues last season. I think for me, it's going to be a very clear delineation of um, see, four, three, two, one, little gap six, big gap five. In my at least, yeah. that's what it looks like right now. We'll see what happens in the last stretch of episodes for this season of Justified. But um, yeah, I mean, I, we should also mention um, Garrett Dillahunt. I really liked how that went down. Uh, he's been so fun all season. Um, more Ava Boyd, Ava Raylan drama that I'm not particularly invested in, uh, though I did enjoy their... The, I, I think I enjoyed the Ava Raylan scene a bit more than what, the other stuff we were getting with her. Uh, and and mm. we got to mention Sam Elliott and having to fork the money over it was fantastic. Uh, that was so much fun. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, the big takeaway for me was, like you said, all the stuff with Raylan alone, him burning those, like when he burns, was that his mother's letters? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that was cold. And I also love Tim's reaction of, okay, we're going to do all these things. What's that? Okay, we're going to, okay, but what's in your yard? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Tim's great. That was, that was great. Uh, lots of great little comic moments. And the last thing I'll mention is um, they really need to wrap up this whole heist thing, like hopefully next week, because it seems like it's taken up way too much time, especially now that we've seen the inside of the vault. It feels like now, okay, we've seen this tiny space enough. Let's have, be done with this and move on to something new, because it's a very limited uh, physical concept to wrap your season around. Yeah, uh, I'm really hoping. Sort of like last season, I was just so convinced that the crows weren't going to be 
a season-long thing because it just didn't make sense based on what we were seeing in the first few episodes. Okay, this can't sustain an entire season, obviously. So that's not what they're going to do because it's justified and the writers are yes. amazing. And then uh, you uh, you were d- having doubt face at me, and you were right last season. This year, yes. it very much feels like, okay, but the save thing can't be a whole season-long thing because it can't sustain that. And they know this, right? Um, so hopefully <laughs> we'll get that wrapped up in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Also, someone we're very excited about shows up soon. Yes. And I need them to do that right, please. Yes, fingers crossed. We do not want another two-dick situation where we get a handful of awesome scenes and then that's it. Um, so, yes. yeah. Anyways, let's move on. We have the Americans, Walter Taffet. And uh, for me, this episode is all about Martha. It's so great to have uh, Alison Wright finally get a spotlight because she's been fantastic throughout the series, but... Things finally are coming together uh, in a really unfortunate way for Martha. And Alison Wright absolutely stepped up to the material like we we, we knew that she would. Um, what is, 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 is this the Martha show for you as well this week? Or did you key into other segments of the show more? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, has the Americans done anything bad this season? I really can't think of anything. Um, Nina, and... so far. That's, that's... You're not, you're not so cool with Nina? Well, it's just... It hasn't tied in yet. If if they don't tie it in, that will be something they didn't do very well. Uh, yeah, but again, that's that's more a matter of they haven't really gotten to that yet. Um, so that's fine. I I trust them that to to tie that in in an interesting way. Yes, this is absolutely the Martha episode. Uh, Allison Wright, like you said, I think does does a fantastic job with some really like scenes like the like these where um. They pull the trigger on Gad finding the bug in his office. We've been waiting two and a half seasons. Yeah. Almost for this scene. Uh, The Americans, the beauty of the Americans is that it has dozens of things that it can set off at any time. Um, It could have Martha finding something out. It could have one of the kids finding something out. It could have Beeman finding something out or figuring something out. It could have, uh, you know, either... I mean, it could have something coming from their past. It could have uh, Irina reemerging. It could have, I mean, I wouldn't be wild about that. But, like, there's just so many things that it can pull out of its world, and it just usually chooses not to. And uh, it must be a joy to write for, and also uh, a logistical nightmare in some respect. <laughs> but just, but in terms of, like, we, here's a well, we, like, here's something we've got in the chamber that we can use whenever we feel like, and the bug is, is a big one. And uh, the fact that, the, the beauty of the design of the show is that you never know uh, when they're going to come up and it, and it makes sense for them to do any of them basically any time that is inconvenient because being, a, a, you know, there's nothing convenient about their line of work. So uh, this is, you know, just, it really helps you appreciate the structural genius of the Americans when they do actually pull the trigger on something like that. And I love that we don't know to what degree Martha has like when when that bug is found we know that she's connecting dots but we don't know how many and we don't know to what degree and she doesn't say anything because it doesn't make any sense for her to say anything so it's all interior and even by the end of the episode we don't know if seeing Clark's phony apartment uh which I love that they have Clark's phony apartment just in case um well, has you know, actually... he he, caught, he managed to signal someone who then went in and like threw some pictures on the wall, you know. Yeah, I, yeah or something. Yeah, there, there yeah. was there was a deleted scene or whatever. Yeah, but um, 
yeah, like we don't know if that's actually made her feel like she can trust Clark anymore. Apparently not. Um, and the fact that also that uh, that Philip doesn't uh, doesn't just magically figure out that something is seriously wrong or that it could just be like more of her usual. She wants a baby. Isn't she crazy? <laughs> problems uh, is, yeah, just stellar. Every aspect of the execution of that of that plot this week, uh, I think, was just uh, just incredible. And, and Noah Emmerich did a fantastic job directing this episode. First time directing this ep- directing an episode of television. What an episode to get. Yeah, yeah, he done good. Absolutely. And with Martha, I think that, uh, I think she knows, but she doesn't want to know so badly, so completely. I think that's where she's at, because when she's in the bathroom, that's a woman who knows. And who mm-hmm. puts together, my husband wears a wig all the time, or a toupee. And I've never seen his apartment, and he's never home. And he came home from work, theoretically at the CIA or FBI, and uh, doesn't know that massive shit went down today uh, that he should know about. Um, So yeah, she knows, I think. It's just a matter of how much she can allow herself to not face it. Um, So I love, like you said, I love that they pulled the trigger on this and that not only does it make sense for some any of these things to go wrong at any time, it also makes sense for them not to go wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't feel contrived that they don't get noticed this whole time. And you know, when they had uh, Stan, Stan subconsciously realizing that something was up with Martha in his dream a while back, which we loved, uh, or was it last season that that, that, that happened? Um uh, it was last season. It was last yeah. season, yeah. You knew that they probably weren't gonna, and especially with this new agent coming in who's so much better or so much aware than, than Stan realizes, uh, you knew that they were gonna have to move that forward. So I, I love that they did it here, they did it now, and um, do you think they're gonna just burn Martha completely? Well, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. Are they, is this gonna be Martha's last season, or are they gonna... Because if you read an interview with, uh, with I think it was Joe Weisberg, he was talking about, look, we interviewed, or, or rather, we did, we did our, we did our homework on this, and we found three instances of, uh, of people who found out that their, that their spouses were Russian spies. Two of them are dead now. Yeah. At by their own hand, and not, it was not a slow process, and I don't think that they're gonna. I can't imagine them going that route. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just, it's too much it's well, just it's just too much well and again just be if they uh, if they burn martha as a storyline she can jump into wit Witsack, she can you know give information uh to stan and, and the and and be off the show that is a thing that they can do because like it feels like the, there's now a ticking clock on the martha storyline of how long she can accept this and i don't think i don't think they'd be able to have her turn and work for the the russians like you know i don't don't think that's gonna something gonna be something that could happen with her no so there are only so many ways that this storyline can go and there's only so much time in which it can do that just because um martha wises up or acknowledges to herself what's going on doesn't mean that martha has to die um there's a lot of things that could happen but I certainly am looking forward to finding out what comes next. Any other thoughts on this episode? Yeah. We should keep try to keep it on the shorter side since we're again we're already so long, but there's so much good stuff here. Uh fantastic the the show's wig game 
has never been more on point than this season. Absolutely wonderful, yeah. Love the the introduction of uh, what I can't remember his name, but Blonde Clark, you know, to try to to re- uh, rope in the uh, AA sponsor. Uh, yes, that 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 whole sequence was was fantastic. Uh, I did not. Mi- I mean, it's been great, but I did not miss uh, the adventures of Philip trying not to have sex with a fifteen year old. Yes, uh, although- very glad to have some time <laughs> off from that storyline. We needed it. Yeah, just a breather. We we needed it. Philip needed it. We all needed it. Um, and yeah. The, it, anyway, another just there are so many aspects of the show that when you actually examine them, such as the way that they that they paced Martha's character arc for the whole show, uh, the pacing of the show is is just remarkable. Like it's it's clear that that the writers uh, that the whole writers room has done a very meticulous job of checking in on the right subplots and the right main plots at the right time and leaving them alone just as important uh, for the correct amount of time. Uh, maybe they ha- they haven't done a great job in terms of Nina, um, but I feel like that's going to be rectified very shortly. Yeah, they've certainly earned our trust there. Um, well, speaking of earned our trust, last week we were so glad. I mean, just move us on because there's, again, we're running long. So last week, The Good Wife did a fantastic job of getting getting our trust back after, you know, a shaky episode or two. Um, did that continue this week for you with Open Source? Not really. Um, I don't know, man. Good Wife is, is, is quite middling to me right now. Uh, this episode in particular, I mean, it's kind of nice that a good chunk of it feels like Good Wife 1.0 or 2.0, whatever point oh you would say is the, um, part of the show where they actually did their jobs and handled cases, which I feel like has happened maybe three times this season. Um, which is fine. The show can morph into all kinds of things and it's been good at doing all sorts of things, but it's, it's nice when they decide to be a legal show. Um, when they're good at it, and this was okay at it. Um, the whole ripped from the headlines 3D printed gun thing was uh, a logical way for them to go, especially with the Kurt connection. Um, but uh, the whole notion that we're supposed to care about Alicia hooking up with Elfman is ridiculous. Yeah, that does feel like one of the more significant misreads of the audience in a while. Uh, by the show, it, it's nowhere near Kalinda's husband level. Um, <laughs> like that's not even in the same universe. But that is just like I don't know anyone who is like you know where there's chemistry on the show. That Elfman because ke- they've done nothing before the last couple episodes where all of a sudden Alicia's hot for Elfman. Um, they've done nothing to to build up that character and make him anything other than a you know Eli style rather sexless person who spews words about the election that we don't care about um i think a lot of people are way less invested in the election than they were hoping or at least based on my read of the fan base and my reaction i really have enjoyed uh david hyde pierce and uh, i i loved what we got with him this week as well Uh, but aside from that element the rest of this election stuff i mean it's basically just a reason for marissa gold to be hanging out and us to get to spend time with sarah Steele. That's about where I'm at with the election. Marissa Gold is now literally the best character on The Good Wife. Like <laughs> she, every other character has had issues or like randomly disappears and appears, and I'm not sure why. <clears throat> Finn, um, back this week in in a reality function, although not interacting with Alicia for some reason. Anyway, has he been Kalinda? I don't know. They just don't want you comparing 
any uh, Alicia Finn chemistry to Alicia Elfman chemistry because it's just they're, you know, come on. Yeah, I don't know. That whole thing is infuriating to me. But anyway, the um, Marissa is the only character who every time she comes on screen, I'm happy that she's there. And line for line is the funniest character and the most reliably insightful character. I loved her line about uh, about handsome men and their insecurities. Um, <laughs> or handsome men are cowards when talking to Elfman. That was great. Her li- Eli's just like sp- spouting verbal garbage. And under that, she's like, I don't think I want to get a tramp stamp. That was <laughs> just fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's been great. Everything else was... Eh, like every beat is feels like we've, one we've seen before. Kurt and Diane have, which, by the way, nice to see Diane get anything to do, but still, uh, Kurt and Diane have political differences, but they're okay in the end. Definitely seen this before. You see, but uh, I David don't Hyde care, because I'm so happy to be spending that time with Kurt. Like, this was the episode of, yeah. it's been too long, guest star. So we get Mamie Gummer back, we get Dennis O'Hare back, we get Gary Cole yeah. back. I mean, there's a lot, of, you know, we get... Matthew Goodback. So there's a lot of actors here that I really enjoy their characters and it's been too long since I've seen them on the show. I like that they brought back Judge Abernathy without it just feeling like the same thing over and, you know, it felt fitting for the, the court case and everything. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, I liked what we got to see Kurt, we got to see him be wrong. He's almost never wrong. And uh, then watching yeah. as he explained, I, I was good with that. But you're right, this is not something we haven't seen before. Yeah, and even the stuff with Prady, as nice as it was, was we've gotten eight other good scenes like that, and this was just another one. Also, I was really disappointed that they ended up going snarky in the end with Canning. Yeah, that, that, I thought it was fitting for for him, and I and it, it I think the the scenes we got with Alicia were really and him were really heartfelt. But it also is encouraging. It makes me happy because if he's got the personality and the energy to be screwing with her that it tells me he's going to be okay and that makes me happy because i like that character on the show so um do you have any final thoughts on the good wife or if not what wins your week in drama uh i do not so let's give it to uh i've oh, screwed it. the american surprise goes to the americans uh see but i gotta give the american surprise to better cross call Saul this week uh just for jonathan banks performance i did have a couple issues with it ah, there you go but i'm good i'm giving it to better call Saul. so all right a few show notes here you can find a post up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment to let us know what you thought about the week's tv you can also email us the televerse at gmail.com we're up in facebook so you can like us to follow the going down on the site tv we are, are of course up in itunes with an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed and you can follow us both on twitter i'm at the televerse and simon you are uh at sucker howl and what is our question of the week? Uh, this is a little bit random, but we didn't discuss last week tonight on the comedies this week. But um, I happened to watch it, and he did a segment on uh, the NCAA and how it's dumb that their players aren't paid. Anyway, I'm wondering uh, what uh, what is what is a topic you'd like to see uh, John Oliver or a John Oliver esque figure uh, take on and shout at it for its ridiculousness for 20 minutes? That is maybe not necessarily obvious. Hmm. I think that is an excellent question. Now, I don't know if Oliver agrees with this, but what comes one of the things that comes up every uh, election is the electoral electoral college. Every presidential election, the electoral college comes. I was literally just thinking. And uh, but here's the thing: I actually think the electoral college is a good idea, and I know that's not the popular opinion to have when the discussion comes up. So if 
Oliver happens to be of the same opinion, I would love to hear a defense of the Electoral College because I feel like it's very easy uh, to make the argument against it. But I do think there are personally, that's one of my things. So I would love to see that. Or, you know, I think it's really easy to make the argument against the Electoral College. Um, but I think the pros outweigh the cons. So that would be my pick. How about you? Uh, as long as we're going with defenses of things, let's go with libraries. Yeah. Yeah, libraries are pretty amazing. And it seems like uh, constantly under threat in terms of funding. Yeah. Nice. Okay, well, let us know what your picks are. I, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing what everybody, you know, personal, you know, things we'd like to see represented or, or discussed. Uh, great pick. Uh, great question of the week. Um, but now we're going to take a break and come back with uh, Paul Goebel, the king of TV, of course, from Hey, Watch This uh, with Paul and David to talk about Star Trek, the original series. So we'll be right back after this. Lieutenant Avura, put the ship on red alert. <laughs> All hands, this is the captain. The ship is on red alert. The ship is on red alert. There has been an unidentified malfunction in the ship's directional control. Repeat, the ship is off course and out of our control. Coordinates now indicate we are charting course to... Captain, Sharon lies between 403 Mark 7 and Mark 9. We're on the way to Sharon. Captain, this ship is now under my direction. For 50,000 of your terrestrial years, I have been pursuing Lokai through the galaxy. I have not traveled this far this long only to give him up now. This ship goes where my will drives it. Captain, we are now at warp 10 and the speed is increasing. Captain, course is now clearly straight for Sharon, despite all efforts to direct us to Arianus. I will not return to Sharon. Captain, you must guarantee me sanctuary. He cannot help you now. You are lost, Loka. You're on the way to judgment, to final punishment. Stop it. Not this time, you evil mound of filth. Not this time. My cause is just. You must help me. All of you must help me. Oh, the old cry, pity me, pity me. Everywhere he's gone, he's been helped to escape. On every planet, he has found fools who bleed for him and shed tears for the oppressed one. But there is no escape for you on this ship. This is your last sanctuary. Kill him. Kill him! You're two of a kind. And we are both going to Sharon. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week we're very glad to have joining us once again the king of TV, Mr. Paul Goebel. Paul, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. 
And this week we're going to be talking about Star Trek original series. Um, with the passing of Leonard Nimoy recently, we thought it was, uh, we were it was we were, it was already overdue for us to, to to do a DVD shelf on Star Trek the original series because you know we've done TNG, DS9, and Voyager, and I really don't care if we ever do Enterprise, uh, but we hadn't done the original <laughs> series, and so I'm very glad you were able to join us for this. There's so much you could say about Star Trek. There's a lot of great Star Trek podcasts out there. Um, but to kick things off, Paul, what, uh, where does Star Trek sit for you in television's history? Um, well, when I was a kid, I, I didn't like Star Trek. I would watch it and think, I don't get this. This seems dumb and cheesy, and it's not funny at all. And so I was not a fan. But then uh, it wasn't until I got older and actually when I started college that I started watching Star Trek and appreciating it for for what it really was. Not only was it kind of retro, um, but it also, you know, it had some really interesting storylines and great guest stars. And and the, the, the fact that it was also so prophetic, um, you know, the fact that they had these, uh, you know, in college, people were just talking about these phones that you could carry around with you. Um, but in, and that's what, you know, they, they modeled them after communicators and stuff like that and how the, how the show was so, so forward thinking and it really impressed me. And so the more I watched it, the more I liked it. And then shortly after that is when The Next Generation came and it was pretty much like, okay, well, I can't enjoy Next Generation unless I like unless I enjoy the original series. So it just kind of, it, it steamrolled from there, and I've been a fan of every Trek series since. Every Trek series? Yeah, I mean, there's some I, do, I, I like less than others, but mm -hmm. I can honestly say I've enjoyed, I've watched and enjoyed every Trek series. Including the animated series? Oh, especially the animated series. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's one of the best, because there's creatures on it that, like, you could never have, on, on, a, on a live show and even though it's it's bad uh you know bad uh animation they got all the original cast to do the voices and they added characters like lieutenant Imres, who's a cat lady and then they bring back <laughs> characters from the show like harry mudd and uh and characters like that and some of those episodes in the uh the animated series are considered part of the canon because they deal with time travel and stuff like that. So some of those are really cool. They're all on Netflix, and you, you, they're worth watching. That I'm clearly going to have to set some time aside, because I have not seen any of the animated series. But if I can watch the Star Wars Christmas special, I'm pretty sure I can I can watch the Star Trek animated series. That's, that's interesting. And, and yeah, it's for all the, the crap that, um, especially TNG... Um, gets but you know, the Trek series you know all of them get for all the aliens being people with different levels of prosthetic prostheses uh, yeah. I think that considering when it was made the original Star Trek um, does a pretty good job of, of trying to do different alien cultures and different you know types of aliens considering they have no budget right and and also they're you know they want to they want everybody to look you know, fairly original, uh, you know, when they started Star Trek Voyager, which is probably the least popular of them all, uh, one of the premises was, we're going to show aliens that you have never seen before, because they were in a different part of the galaxy. So, you know, even then, they, they had to top themselves even more. So, yeah, you look back on the old show, and there's some pretty fun stuff there. And they brought, again, they brought back 
creatures like the uh, the Andorians brought them back, and they were major major characters on the on Enterprise. Yeah, for me, Star Trek is just uh, it is in so many ways so forward thinking. The big hurdle I always have with the series is it's just it's terrible gender politics so yes. frequently. It's it's like when I we did Great Pilots Month on, at Sound of Sight like a year or two ago, I went back and I watched the three different like Star Trek pilots. So the original pilot, which doesn't have Captain Kirk, has a different right. actor in the lead, and then I watched the first episode that they filmed with Shatner as Kirk, and then I watched the episode that they decided to air first. And just the comparison between the different versions of the show, it's really jarring to see those first two pilots because the bridge is like entirely white. It's all white guys who are the same age and look exactly the same. Right. It's, it's just, it's bizarre. Cause that's just so not what star Trek is. So being so ahead of its time with having a multi, uh, a multicultural and racial cast and treating those characters as people, not defining them. I mean, you could argue about the nu- uh, nuclear vessels and everything, but Sulu isn't <laughs> walking around, you know. Uh, yeah, he's not karate chopping. He's everybody. not karate chopping everyone exactly. Like these people, they're just normal, regular people who happen to look different than each other. And um, so, so when I when I think about the gender politics, it's particularly frustrating because I just I wish they had been able to be even a little bit, just a small percentage of as forward-thinking as they were with so many other elements of the show with their gender politics. I, I feel the need to clarify, Sulu isn't, to be, to be perfectly pre- precise, Sulu isn't karate chopping anyone any more than anyone else is. Yes. <laughs> true. There are a lot of karate chops on the show for a, for a sci-fi show. Very true. The thing you got to remember is, even though Gene Roddenberry was, you know, he was a very forward-thinking guy in terms of the world... When it came to women, he uh, he was pretty much a misogynist. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. So you know when someone said, "Hey, let's put this big-breasted black woman on the show in this really uh, high, really uh, you know mini skirt," he he didn't argue. He was like, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea." Mm-hmm. So that's 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 who he was. But uh, the great thing is, you know, they improved on that and. You know, we didn't have not that they weren't great uh, uniforms in my in my opinion, but the show the women basically got you know their equal doing. I think as the shows went on, Next Generation and so forth. I, I do think though that you can't argue with the impact of the series. It just being so ahead of its time in so many ways. Um, that doesn't mean that it's always the best show ever, but I, I think it's it holds a really interesting place in the the landscape of of television simon i mean i've we've talked about star trek plenty times on the show before i'm a trekkie i enjoy the the universe what's your relationship with original series star trek had you seen much of it before this i'm sure i've seen it's one of those that i'm sure i've seen a couple episodes here and there and obviously certain episodes have been the subject of relentless parody and reference in all kinds of places it's one of those shows that's so uh sort of ingrained in the culture that you can't not know of aspects of it. Uh, but actually for sitting down and watching episodes, this was my first time. And obviously the inspiration for doing this segment was, uh, was the passing of Leonard Nimoy. Um, and I guess for that reason, I, I kind of want to hone in on Spock for a minute because uh, as you said, there are entire podcasts devoted to just this show. Uh, 
picking apart every episode. There's been there, you can find terabytes of analysis across the internet of probably just individual episodes, you know, spec scripts, everything you can possibly imagine. So I, I forgive me if I feel like getting run into minutia, uh, but I wanted to talk about Spock and because uh, he was really I was thinking a lot about Spock while watching this because uh, after Nimoy passed, there were all these pieces uh, with people writing about what Spock meant to them and why he was the character that that was such an inspiration to them. Uh, and I think that Spock was probably I, I don't think there's any disputing that Spock was was more of an inspiration to more people than Kirk ever was. Um, and I think uh, one thing that's sort of hasn't been acknowledged as much uh, in those things that I read is that watching these episodes, uh, Spock is sort of uh, as, as much as you can, you can give him all these other descriptors. What I personally find fascinating about uh, the way Nimoy plays him and the way the character is written is that by design, he's somewhat inscrutable. And uh, like, for instance, he talks about, he specifically says in one episode, one episode that he doesn't feel, uh, which would seem on its face to be a contradiction because he's feeling stuff all over the place uh, in, in various episodes. And maybe that's because he's evolving or maybe that's because he's just lying. Uh, and uh, maybe, maybe this is more explicitly delved into in episodes I haven't watched, but I feel like the, the thing that's most ahead of its time on, on this show is, is the nuance with which, uh, with which Spock is, is written and performed. And so much of that is about subtraction. And I think that was a, that enabled people to uh, to project themselves onto and into Spock in ways that must have felt revolutionary for a TV character at the time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, again, I don't know that Spock works anywhere near as well in a vacuum either. And so pairing him with, I mean, obviously Kirk is a very larger than life figure so much of the time. And there's really a progression of that over the course of the series. But also with Bones, because really, at least the people that I've talked to you about, original series Star, Star Trek people really key into that try that triumvirate the trio of Kirk and Spock but also McCoy and so the counterplaying um Spock who and, and Leonard, Leonard Nimoy is being so internal with his performance so frequently while letting some really delightful sarcasm and humor and stuff out quite frequently um but contrasting that with McCoy, who's just such a different, um, you know, has some of those same traits and the same sense of humor, but you know, the, the, the friendship between those three, I think really works very well to, to, to bring out all the strengths of the different performers. Yeah. And what's funny about that is, you know, it became obvious once they started making the films that it was those three guys that people were going to see, you know, so much so that they, the three of them had, favored nations contracts and the uh the producers would always secure their contracts first and then the rest of the cast Michelle Nichols and all those guys they would literally call them the day before shooting and say <laughs> we're shooting tomorrow if you want to be in the movie we'll send over the contracts because th that they knew that as long as they had those three that's all people cared about and uh and and it it became bigger with the movie so then when you go back and watch the show you see it's almost like subtle, like you don't notice it before, but there are literally scenes where Kirk is sitting in the chair and over one shoulder is Spock and over the other shoulder is McCoy and they are arguing and telling their both different points of views while Kirk is sitting there trying to make a decision. And that's, you know, at the heart of what this show is. 
Yeah, that that uh, with with McCoy representing the emotion and the heart, and Spock the the logic, and that and I mean I think it's a very again it's a very large performance a lot of the time from Shatner as Kirk, so it's, it would seem like he would go more frequently with Bones, but I do think they do a good job of balancing out. And again, one of the big things, maybe not so much for the ladies on the show, but amongst the, the crewmen in general, there's this respect for different points of view um, amongst the crew. Kirk right. likes to tell alien planets and civilizations that they're living their life wrong all the time. But uh, right. amongst the crew, there's, there really is a respect for different points of view that I, that I think goes very well and, and really grounds that core trio. Yeah. And you know, the fact that uh, I think that comes from the fact that there's an alien in the crew because, you know, and this is what Gene Roddenberry said, and he was absolutely right. If you're going to accept people from another planet, you know, as your coworkers and friends, well, then that means you've accepted people from your own planet long ago. There is no more racism and strife and poverty. And we're now, you know, we're now making friends with people on other planets. And so that was a, that, that was a truism that had to be, you know, constant throughout every episode of every series, you know, and they would, sometimes they'd do a ham-fisted racism episode, like let that be your last battlefield. You know, he's black on the left side, I'm black on the right side. And, you know, you kind of roll your eyes at it, but at least in the, in the Federation, in the world of Star Trek, they, uh, you know, they didn't have that problem. They didn't even kill animals. They, you know, they, animals were free to run around. It was a, it was PETA's dream. <laughs> and, and it makes it like doubly hilarious uh, to watch in retrospect that the show is, is so uh, almost a utopian in, in its vision of, of racial equality when you switch to any time that Kirk is alone in a room with a woman and it's whenever there's a one shot of her, she's in like Vaseline glow. All of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Especially Yeoman Rand, almost every shot of Yeoman Rand. She's, you know, she's right, right through the cheesecloth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the, some of the, the heightened elements of the show it, it's, and again, it's that, that element of, um, I guess it, it you expect it from earlier TV even than Star Trek, but it's something that we've moved so far away from in television. But the the with the makeup where like the, all the guys have eyeshadow that I don't think we're supposed to see that they're wearing. Like they're not actually wearing eyeshadow, but clearly they they are, especially when you watch the remastered versions. And uh, so there there are these just heightened elements to the the mm -hmm. the the performances, but also the costuming and the makeup and all these other things that just feel like a byproduct of an earlier, more theatrical type of television. Absolutely. The sets and the lighting. I remember watching it once with a, a friend of mine who was in, he was in uh, film school and he was directing his first film and he would, he couldn't stop pointing out all the different shadows. You know, this is making a shadow and here's a shadow and this is a shadow and I'm like, but that's the style of the show. And it's just mm -hmm. like you said, it's like a theater. They lit it like they were like it was a stage and they used the shadows because, uh, you know, they didn't have the greatest techniques then. But also it was it's it's more theatrical. Uh, the, the whole show is very theatrical. Well, and I think that's why I think we should talk about Shatner a bit here, because obviously there's a whole thing with Captain Kirk. You can find a million impressions uh, uh, of the character on YouTube 
Um, but I think the reason that the part of the, the show is iconic uh, the way that it is, part of that comes down to that ridiculous, at times, performance from Shatner. <laughs> the material is heightened. The world is heightened. So his performance is heightened. And, I mean, I just, I think that sometimes he gets too hard of a time yeah. for that performance. Well, and it's, when you're talking about a show that is shot on a budget of, um, adjusted for inflation, approximately five fifty, uh, <laughs> an episode. Um, place that point wherever you feel like it. Um, you know, you need big. You need big performances. You need big emotion. You need rage and lust and ridiculous levels of theatricality, so that you're not constantly thinking about the production values. Yeah, it's true, and it's and especially when one of your characters doesn't have emotions. Uh, you know, and he and I'm sure there were times when Shatner said, I'm carrying this scene all by myself. Leonard's just standing there with his hands behind his back and I'm doing it. I'm doing everything. But not that he had a complaint because that's what Shatner did best. You know, he came from the theater and from the days of live TV. Uh, I read this story once that said uh, someone taught Shatner the best way to enter onto the stage was to back in like back in a few steps and then turn and face the audience all of a sudden. And that way everybody's eyes are on you. And he does that in an episode. He gets beamed up. It's when uh, he splits in, in two the enemy within, I think it's called mm -hmm. there's the evil Kirk and the good Kirk. And when they beam up, accidentally beam up the evil Kirk, they beam him up with his back to the camera and he turns around and he does exactly what Shatner used to do on stage. I mean, it's people say people love to make fun at Shatner and t say he's a bad actor and all. But the way he plays Captain Kirk is not the way he plays any other character. It's a choice the way he did it. And more importantly, it fits with the material perfectly. Well, and you, you don't have the longevity and the variety of a career that Shatner's had without being good. It just it doesn't happen. Star Trek, T.J. Hooker, uh, uh, Boston... <laughs> Legal, right? Boston Legal, yes. absolutely. Emmy and winner. That doesn't happen by accident. And if I may add, has been actually a good album. Brilliant. Sh it's one of Shat my favorite Shatner records. Could've... Shatner cut a good album. I don't think even Nimoy ever did that. That's true. True <laughs> enough. Although although Shatner never wrote a decent book, and certainly not a decent work of poetry. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, some of the, the episodes, because what, what I thought... Um, is so much fun about you know and revisiting some some of these episodes I had seen as a, as a kid. My dad loves Star Trek, so every now and again I would see some of the classic series. And of course, it's it's transportative television. I know a lot of people who were kids who watched Star Trek. Who if you watch that, it just takes them back to when they were a kid. Um, however, it's a little different experience for those of us watching with modern sensibilities. Uh, mm -hmm. particularly myself with gender. But one of the things I find most particular and most interesting about the series is, yes, um, pretty much n nobody has a bunch of favorite episodes that come from season three. Season three right. is just, you know, I wasn't surprised when that was the easiest season to get at the library. Um, <laughs> but even in, in season one and season two, it's not like there's like a dramatic build in quality over the course of the, the series, at least based on air date. Maybe it was production, I know, was different than, than air date. But there will be a fantastic episode right before or right after a terrible one. 
I find yeah. that fascinating. It's not like they got better as they went along and the writing tightened up and no, it's it really just depends on the week. Yeah, it's strange. It's it's like it's almost like uh I guess because there's no arc of the show, there really is no order. Um, you know, only in terms of uh I guess crew members like you know, oh, this is this is a later episode cuz Chekhov is on it. But other than that, there's no arc. The characters do not grow really. Uh, you know, there's no. It's not like Voyager where you know they got to get home or something like that. It seems like they made all the episodes in like a month. They worked every day for a month, and then they made them all and said, "Here you go, NBC," and they just threw them up there in a in a mishmash pattern. And yeah, and th and that's what happens is sometimes there's a great one, and then the next one you're like, "What happened?" And some some of the writers like Harlan Ellison and those guys, you know, were very outspoken and saying like, uh, 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 "City on the Edge of uh, City on the Edge of Forever, City on the Edge of Tomorrow." Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. He wrote that, and and he uh, he made it clear that the way they had edited it was garbage, and he was like, "I don't want anything to do with that," you know. And he would often complain, and a lot of the writers would, because sometimes Gene Roddenberry or the network or whoever would just be a little too hands on. And, uh, you know, I know for a fact that in the third season, especially NBC and Roddenberry were trying to sell a lot of stuff like uh, pins that said IDIC or, or Federation stuff. So they would shoehorn them in the in the episode and then it would, you know, it would it would uh, not be as good because of that, which, of course, they do all the time and no one seems to have a problem with it now. I, I tried to stick mostly to the good episodes uh, because uh <laughs> because life is short and time is finite. Uh, but I, I mean, I did watch uh, Spock's brain. So, I, I mean, as, oh. as we say with every Trek, it's not the full Trek experience unless you get some of the bad as well. Uh, there, I feel like if they ever rebooted Star Trek, um, like if, for instance, you know, Brian Fuller ever got his crack, uh, um, he, I feel like it would need to be in his contract that he needs to make one or two shitty ones just to make it Trek. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get it doesn't get much worse than Spock's brain, right? Uh, but I mean, it it almost feels like you know the production values are always going to be bad. The acting is always going to be over the top in in the correct way. The costuming is always going to be ridiculous. The gender politics are always going to be garbage. Um, really, an episode will live or die based on the ideas, uh, based on how. Uh, if it's the sort of ridiculous that works well with this, uh, with this sort of you know, delivery system, or if it isn't, uh, I, I did notice though that so many of the, the sort of agreed upon best episodes tend to be more based in uh, in character than in high concept, or or the, or that those concepts are you know are, are sort of hooked directly onto characters that people care about. Um, as opposed to like it, it, the show in general feels much more character based to me than than later Trek, which mostly feels idea based. Is that just me? No, I think um, I, yeah, I absolutely see what you're saying. I, the in in the way that next gen people will, you know or DS Nine just don't watch any of the Ferengi episodes. Um, in next gen, like all the all all the um, Klingon episodes tend to be a lot of fun. Like there, there are in, in, in original Trek leaves for me, like, is it a Spock episode that isn't Spock's brain? Uh, <laughs> it's probably good. So when we get, um, Oh, I can't, I don't have the name of the episode, the, um, with Ponfar, uh, for a mock time. A mock time. A mock time. Yeah. 
uh, that's that's a really good episode. Or if when we get um, any of the, I, I at least I recall a few times that we meet one of Bones's uh, ex girlfriends. Those tend to really feature him more, and those tend to be good. Like the 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 episodes that key into to Spock or to Bones are the ones that I tend to, you know, I feel like those get a lot of praise. Kirk, I feel like it's a mixed bag. Uh, Paul, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, well, it's true because you know, unfortunately, there are uh, uh, a lot of episodes where, well, you know, most of them are about Kirk, so they make him kind of do ridiculous things. And so in an episode like Turnabout Intruder, where, uh, you know, the female doctor uh, has switched bodies with Kirk, we see William Shatner sitting there with his legs crossed, filing his nails. We I mean, talk about your gender issues, and it gets a little ridiculous. And Or when uh, in Enemy Within, when they split in two, and he ends up assaulting, some say raping, uh, Yeoman Rand. That's a little, over, that's a little too much. Um, and you think, man, Shatner, you're chewing the scenery. You know, that's just a bad, you did a bad job. Uh, you weren't up to the challenge. Or the, uh, the episode where, they, uh, uh, where they're getting old, where they, <laughs> they get really old. All the other actors are great, I think, as they age. But Shatner is like, he looks like, uh, you know how when you're in high school and, and, and you do a play, but there was a, a role for an old man in the play? So some act high school kid had to put on a bunch of makeup and stoop over and act act like an old man. That's what Shatner looks like in that episode. <laughs> he looks like a high school actor. And and but then you learn to embrace other things from from uh, from those episodes. And it may be something small like uh, you know like his his love interest or just a line that somebody has. You know, Scotty. There's this one episode with Julie Newmar that is not so great. Uh, you know, where she's pregnant, but it has the classic line that Bone says, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. <laughs> you know, and this, that, that episode's watching just for that line alone. Yeah. Well, and I, I love some of those recurring bits. I've spent way too many time ending YouTube spirals with the I'm a doctor, not a super cuts that are on YouTube. <laughs> They're right. delightful. Oh man. But for, for me, one of the, the things that I noted, um, was, and maybe again, this is because I didn't have enough time to watch as much as I would have liked, um, for this, for this shelf, but the, the, the variety in tone is one of the things that really stood out to me. So you get an episode, uh, like sitting on the edge of forever, which, uh, by the end is really dramatic. Um, and compare that with something like uh, trouble with tribbles which is just ridiculous i mean i think they do a good job in like mirror mirror which i had so much fun with it's neat to see one of the very first parallel universes tv parallel parallel universes but there's again there's more of like a um thriller element to that and suspense and i think the show does a good job um for me when it when it embraces some of these other um tones than maybe what people would expect from a straightforward sci-fi kind of show and it was, and again, you know, there were so many bad sci-fi shows in the '50s and '60s, and you know, ton of them before that. You know, when TV was first starting, uh, you know, that was uh, there was just a glut of them, and and like we said, many of them were bad because it was the early days of everything, you know, and, and so they looked corny. But Star Trek was the first to take it to the next level the way it did, and it kind of upped the game, and and so that's why stuff like Lost in Space or some of those other Irwin Allen shows look really bad compared to Star Trek because, uh, 
you know, Star Trek raised the bar. And honestly, it became the bar that, you know, if you're going to make a sci-fi show now, it better be as good as the original Star Trek. If you can't make it at least as good as the original Star Trek, you failed. Fair enough. Um, Do we have any other uh, specific episodes or ideas from the show that we want to dive in with? I was just thinking about uh, Kirk's sex life. And... um... I was I was just thinking if if I we we've had the hypothetical uh, raising a teenager thing uh, come up on the show before, but if, if I somehow find myself raising raising a teenage boy and he's straight, uh, I would I would actually use Star Trek as as like just go through every single episode that involves uh, Kirk banging someone, and uh, and say okay, what did Kirk do here that you should never do? Like for instance. <laughs> uh, for, like, for instance, talking to this grown-ass woman like she's seven, or going into a parallel universe and not clarifying that you're not the Kirk that she thinks you, that she's talking to. Because right. that's not that's not informed consent. I, I feel like I could have fun with that. Yeah, that that's the kind, one of my favorite episodes, of course, is Space Seed, the, the con episode. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a great episode. Not, you know, even if you hate everything else, uh, Matsuban's performance is is amazing. Um, but it's really it's really well done. Unfortunately, they introduced this character, the one and only time she's the historian, Marla, Lieutenant Marla McGivers or McGivers, and um, and she abandons her post and puts the entire ship in jeopardy because she's in love with Khan. It doesn't get much more misogynist than that, if you ask me. That happens a bunch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, I, I just still distinctly remember watching Who Mourns for Adonis or, or Adonis with my mom and dad at one point. And my dad I th- was enjoying it uh, in the, these the certain elements about the, sh- about the episode and, you know, childhood memories and everything. I think when any of us have a show that we really liked as a kid that we, when we watch when we're older, it's easy to, you know, have rose-colored glasses. And my mom and I just kept looking at each other while we're watching this episode. My dad's really enjoying it. We're just like, this is, I want to just kill everyone on the screen because it's <laughs> terrible. Um, so yeah, that is a thing that happens a bunch. I, I think that's a great method for uh, discussing informed consent there, Simon. And <laughs> well yes. I wish I had thought of it. Uh, a, a Star Trek podcast that I really enjoyed that I've been um, listening to. I hope they put a new episode out soon. Is actually the Edge of Forever, which is by the um, the same guys who do Bigger on the Inside for the TV sci-fi nerds out there, uh, podcast nerds. Um, but what the the guys do is they're going through all of Trek, and they're currently on. Um, st- they're currently on original series, um, and they're t- watching two episodes at a time, and they talk about them and everything. But one of the fun things that they're doing is that they're keeping a tally um, for each episode of uh, racism against Spock for being Vulcan, sexism, a uh, number of red shirts who dies, how frequently uh, Kirk's shirt gets turn, turn, uh, torn off, things like that. Like all the sort of the, the cliches that we remember about Star Trek and finding out how accurate they actually are. And so it's just delightful to it's listen awesome. to oh yeah you should totally check it out it's it's, it's really great um <laughs> can i just mention the the clear i mean out of the episodes that i saw a clear best example of of kirk's shirt getting torn is in a muck time when we get the nipple window during the fight <laughs> very inspired well and that's the thing though with this show if you if that's not going to take you out of it if some of these heightened elements or the gender politics are not going to take you out of the show there's an extra level of enjoyment and cheesy camp to these things. You can, that can be 
quickly become one of the things you love about the show. Absolutely. Well, do we have any final thoughts about Star Trek? What's what's your takeaway? Well, I I, I want to say I know I think we talked about this before, but you know my favorite episode is uh, City on the Edge of Forever, and uh, and not just because. Um, it, it deals with the time travel and it, and it spawned this whole uh, time travel mythos in Star Trek with the Guardian and all stuff like that. But for me, the episode is great because it is honestly the best example of Shatner being an understated actor, which you don't see a lot. As we've mentioned, it rarely happens. But at the end of that episode, it's clear that this is the one woman of all the women he's had. This is the one that he really cared for and fell for and he had to let her go and when he says let's get the hell out of here he's he's clearly about to burst into tears and i think you know it, it you might again dislike shatner's acting but when you see that you got to give it up because it's it's really powerful especially for like you said it's for as little as he was working with i think it's really great and DeForest Kelly starts out that episode ridiculous, yes. uh, but by the end is really doing some excellent work as well. For sure. Simon, any final thoughts? Uh, just to, to go macro again for a moment, I, I think what I find fascinating about watching the show now is, um, you know, in the era of Twitter, we, we, we I feel like uh, writers and artists and um, creative types in general are under more scrutiny than ever. For uh, for their politics, for uh, for everything really, and and one misstep can mean you're written off by a whole lot of people, and uh, I I find just fascinating the the contradiction of Star Trek and and how uh, some things are so advanced and some things are so retrograde, and um, I I feel bad for people who can't appreciate things that are deeply flawed or that have uh, or that have flaws inherent from their historical context. Uh, because it's it's not a good way to live, I don't think, to be like this, you know, to throw the baby out with the bathwater to say, well, because it has these problems, uh, it's inherently worthless. And I think people still do that for things that are still being made today or for people who who, who do the wrong thing uh, from time to time. And this is something I think about a lot. But uh, I, I, I think that because, because I, I do the wrong thing a lot, and, you know, anyone who exists in, in, in any kind of public sphere will eventually do the wrong thing and let you down. Uh, so anyway, what I'm trying to say is I, I, I find those contradictions fascinating, and uh, that's and it's because there are, there are shortfalls and so much promise that I, I'm, I'm interested in this sort of televisual universe, and I hope that someday soon uh, it'll get another chance to be a TV show, because frankly, I think the Trek movie thing is kind of played out. Yeah, watching the show, original series again, and thinking about this um, vision of the future as peaceful and uh, without discord, uh, at least on Earth, and then thinking of all the explosions and all the uh, scheming and all of the uh, just constant violence in the the movies is sort of depressing uh to me a little bit as much as i have enjoyed watching them they they still you know when they're on the bridge that feels like track but when they're crashing spaceships into buildings and killing each other all the time it really it, it 
I feel like it, it it doesn't. It feels more like a Star Wars or something else. And so I, I do, I second that, Simon. I would love to see Star Trek come back to TV. As we've talked about, Give let Brian Fuller do a show. Come on. How do you, <laughs> look at the track record. How does that, ah, anyways, um, this is another time. But uh, it was really, really great to, to dive in with this series in a way that I hadn't yet and really think about its progression. And um, yeah, it's it has its issues, but the 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 pros far for me far outweigh the cons and it was great to spend some more time in the universe um paul thank you so much for coming back on the podcast my pleasure where can our listeners find you and your work online um well uh, of course uh, every week i host my podcast with david Bax. hey watch this and you can find episodes of that at my uh website thekingoftv.com or at david's website battleshipretention.com and if you want to follow me on twitter Oh, I just started a new beef with Adam Carolla. So uh, <laughs> if if you like me and my beefs, I just started a new one. So follow me on Twitter, at Paul Goebbels Show. And I'll be your friend on Facebook, and I'll, I'll even friend you on LinkedIn. I will be your contact on LinkedIn, I swear <laughs> to God. Great. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, Paul. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.